Hey, everybody, and thanks for visiting this episode of the John Campia Show podcast, the audio-only version of the John Campia Show on YouTube. This was the episode recorded on Monday, May the 11th, 2020, titled Hugh Jackman's Return as Wolverine Will Happen, Thinks the Deadpool Creator. And remember, guys, if you're listening to this podcast, you can also submit questions for the live questions part of the show by using the tip link in the top of the description of this podcast, streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'd be supporting the channel and getting your question on the show and for now let's get to the episode you know last week rob we discussed uh the first episode dropped of the new disney plus docuseries the mandalorian they're doing an eight-part docuseries you and i had different feelings on you you enjoyed the episode but you're really wanting them to go into more more details about how things came about with the mandalorian episode i personally really loved episode one and i thought yeah hang hang tight they'll get into that stuff so last uh, the other night, episode two of the Mandalorian docuseries aired. And, you know, I love Mandalorian. And I really enjoyed the first episode uh, and the second episode. What a waste of airtime. What a complete and utter waste of airtime. The second episode was because guess what? This is a here's my friend. And I'm very much still looking forward to episode three. Don't get me wrong. I'm very, very much looking forward to episode three, but I'm watching episode two. And I'm thinking, okay, this is a this is a Mandalorian docuseries talking about behind the scenes stuff of Mandalorian, Rob. And uh, I'm thinking, great. Yeah, yeah. Boy, wouldn't it be sweet if they talked about Mandalorian? <laughs> wouldn't, it, wouldn't it be wouldn't it be great if in this Mandalorian docuseries they talked about Mandalorian? Instead, the whole episode is about let's talk about just why Star Wars is great. Guess what? Anybody who's tuning in to watch a making of Mandalorian docuseries is already in love with Star Wars. All right. I don't need to hear some big like starts. Oh, wow. Isn't Star Wars great? Yeah. Star Wars is great. What about you? Do you think Star Wars is great? Yeah, man. I think Star Wars is great, too. I fucking know we all think Star Wars is great. I don't know. I like I don't want to get too. (laughs) But it's just like this is supposed to be a docuseries. And I love the first part. But they needed to start getting into things like you were talking about last week, Rob. Give us get now. Give us the nuts and bolts. Tell us about who made that phone call and where did this come together and talk about. I mean, they, I'm sure there will be an entire episode dedicated to stagecraft. I'm sure there will be like probably an entire episode later on. But it's like, OK, here we are in part two now. Oh, you're not even going to talk about Mandalorian. You're not even going to talk about it. I, I don't know. I, I just, you know, it sucks because I stayed up late watching. And I thought this was such an effing waste of time sitting up and watching this. So I I am starting to feel that apprehension you were expressing last week. I really hope they start getting into, you know, Mandalorian stuff. I, I, I don't know. Rob, did you have a chance to check out episode two? And if so, what did you make of it? Oh, John, I wish you could have been here sitting with me and Elizabeth watching episode two of the gallery. <laughs> I was saying that to Elizabeth. I was literally talk. I don't usually talk when I watch things. I was I was really angry when I was watching it. I mean, as you know, over this quarantine time, I spent six and a half hours working with director Dave Parker, making special features for our movie, The Hills Run Red, where we delved into the philosophy. We delved into the origins. We talked about how this movie got made, why it got made, what was the reasoning behind it. I'm watching this thing and I'm like, what uh, talk about they're literally sitting in a circle this was such a circle jerk and i'm like i don't need to know 
why I love Star Wars, why anyone loves Star Wars. We have 45, well, 44, 43 years, 43 years of understanding why people love Star Wars. And while I did appreciate Dave Filoni's explanation of what Darth Maul's purpose was in The Phantom Menace, you know, from 1999, that was fine. Listening to him talk about all that, that I found that interesting. What does that have to do with The Mandalorian? I mean, I, I thought... Clearly, what this show does not have, it, it does not have the actual story of how The Mandalorian got made because I think politically that's too much of a hot potato. Now, they can't talk about Kathleen Kennedy's first meeting with Favreau or how Favreau got uh, involved with Filoni and how do they develop the show. I mean, maybe they'll get into that, but we're an hour into this show. And what have we learned about the making of The Mandalorian? Why did they decide to make a Mandalorian show? How did Boba Fett's involvement, was it from the Boba Fett script they were going to shoot? Now we know that Boba Fett's coming back, but that I'm sure they won't deal with that. I want to know anything at all about the conception and the origins of this show. Who was involved? How did they get everybody involved? What did that have to do? Like the studio was making features how did live action uh television shows for disney plus come into play all of these things the interesting story about how this show originated i don't know if we're ever going to get that because this second episode just seemed like a bunch of filler it, it, where it, it everybody did. I, I mean yeah. why, why are they giving us filler when when i i mean i get it but if you're gonna if you're gonna tout a making of show and you already we already live in a world that has the lord of the rings blu-rays that has the alien documentaries that has a, a charlie de lazarica's dangerous days or cliff stevenson's documentaries on the making of the hannibal tv show we have already got a lot of awesome documentaries that show how things are made give us that as a matter of fact one of the great dvd documentaries of all times ever made is the beginning that was on the episode one uh, DVD when it first came out. The making of Phantom Menace was fascinating. Yeah. Fascinating. And why don't they use that as a model? Yeah. Anyway, I, don't I, get me started. But. Look, the other thing that really got me is I finally started watching The Last Dance, the uh, Michael Jordan era Bulls oh, uh, documentary God. thing. I'm four episodes in. Here's the thing. I get it. Like the first episode of of the Mandalorian thing. I, I got it. You're kind of setting stage. Here are the players. All right. And here are the directors and kind of went into their contributions. Okay, good, good, good. But, you know, episode one of The Last Dance, if you want to talk about a great docuseries, episode okay. one is boom, this is what this docuseries is all about. All in the first episode, right? By the way, I'm not huge into wrestling anymore like I used to be when I was younger. My wife is. Like, actually, my wife and Corey do a weekly wrestling podcast, actually. But, um, and popped on before we went to bed last night. She wanted to watch. There's there's a WWE is doing a ripoff docuseries of The Last Dance, and it's called The Last Ride. And it's document it's a documenting the final three years of the career of The Undertaker. Right. Right. And so my <laughs> wife started watching this. And I thought I'll sit down and watch this with you for a minute. Rob, you don't have to be a wrestling fan to love this this undertaker behind the scenes this is how this, these last three years played out and it was only episode one and i dug it and i'm just like okay it's a part series i'm sure you'll get around to it but you, you've already two episodes in and you haven't told us a single thing about how did this show come together like not a single thing and i don't know i you know what i shouldn't be upset about it it's just that i would you know how excited i was for this docuseries I love this behind the scenes. No, the one good thing I'll say about that episode, Rob, the one good thing I'll say about that episode, when other 
dude, when friends of mine and compatriots of mine were hanging Michael Jordan posters in their on their wall, I was hanging John Knoll posters on, on my wall. Like John Knoll <laughs> was an icon in my circle of people. So John Knoll was, of course, the, he's the head of effects of uh, Industrial Light and Magic. He was on that documentary. Him and yep. his brother also actually created Photoshop. I mean, the dude is an icon. So yeah. it was kind of cool seeing John Knoll, but. I just thought it was a bit of a wasted opportunity. Anyway, we, we got to keep going. He, he got John tons of stuff. pitched the idea of Rogue One. Of Rogue One. That's right. So he actually took that stuff forward and he did that. He's he's really cool. I would have liked to have heard more from him because maybe he would have talked about, you know, how they made the show. I don't know. Uh, maybe, like you said, Rob, they'll get around to a question is, guys, did you see episode two of the Mandalorian docuseries? Fingers crossed it just gets better. Anyway, what did you guys think about? Jump into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. Next up here. Uh, on on a much uh, sadder note, on a much sadder note, um, you know, many people will remember him from Seinfeld. Maybe a little bit later, there are people who remembered him from Kings of Queen, uh, the, the King of Queens, I should say. Um, but uh, Ben Stiller's father, a Jerry Stiller, whose career he had a made career long before Seinfeld ever happened. Oh, yeah. And um uh, it is Festivus No More. Uh, J- uh, Jerry Seinfeld uh, has passed away at the age of 92. Ben Stiller confirmed the report. Uh, his son, of course, did not report about how, where, when, why or anything like that. But he has passed away. And of course, it's understandable. Most people remember him as uh, as Costanza's dad in Seinfeld. And he was so great in that. And he had this particular personality he developed later in his career. But he had a massive career that spanned stage, screen, all that kind of stuff. Uh, truly one of the great icons uh, passes away at the age of 92. Rob, uh, your thoughts on the passing of uh, of just one of the great, most memorable, recognizable voice recognition uh, faces we've had in the last number of oh. decades, uh, Jerry Stiller. Well, you know, both Ben Stiller's parents, his mother passed away uh, That's right. a while ago as well. And I was a big fan of, of both of, of them. I mean, I grew up watching them on so many different things uh, ben stiller's mom of course was in the movie fame the original fame which yep. is one of my favorite movies she plays a teacher in that but jerry stiller i mean my god talk about a decades-long career and um uh, I, you know I, I, when these people pass away when i hear somebody dies at 92 you know i'm sad i won't see them again but i always think man what a life well lived you know, and and what a legacy of of entertainment they've left behind for people to uh, discover and enjoy decades from now. So I, I can't, I mean, I, I can't be sad really about what they've done. You can only look back and and smile at the accomplishment of of a life well lived. Really, I agree, and it's it's so great. It's not often, Rob, that you're able to have a guy like uh, uh, like him who had different stages of his career right like there are a lot of stars of yesteryear who had great careers up into the 60s and stuff like that and then their career winds up and they just live out there he had like another research it's like he had two big acts of his career there's the the career he had before seinfeld the career he had after seinfeld uh and it was it was just uh, marvelous to watch and again one of the greatest episodes of seinfeld of all time was of course festivus and uh, everybody i'm sure will think of that you know serenity now ladies and gentlemen serenity now of course anyway I'm sure you guys will want to share some of your thoughts uh, on this. Uh, of course, once again, uh, he passes away at the age of 92. Uh, and our best thoughts and well wishes to everybody associated with him and, of course, his family. All right, guys. 
with that down, let's now move on to another off the top. And that is this. Rob, I don't know if you've heard, but there's a new Batman movie coming. There's a new Batman movie. Yep, it's true. It's 100% too. They're going back. They're doing that old comic book movie thing again. And there's a new Batman movie coming. Of course, Matt Reeves. Andy Serkis is in this one while he's trying to direct Venom 2. He's also starring as Alfred uh, in the new Batman film, which I thought was a fantastic choice. How he's juggling both at the same time, I really don't know. And we'll have to ask him that sometime if we ever get the chance. But, you know, Rob, one of the interesting, I guess you could say criticisms that some people, certainly not me, but some people had of the recent era of the DCEU was maybe it was too dark. Some people thought maybe it was a bit too dark, you know, a little bit too grim, whatever. And I'm like, have you heard of Batman? Like, do you do you know what makes Batman tick? But at any rate, there was some criticism about him being too dark. Me, I, I loved seeing, you know, this dude, Bruce Wayne, whose entire persona was shaped by watching his parents murdered in front of him as a child. And by all accounts, Bruce Wayne died that night in that alley and the Batman was born. And I think if you really lean into that, there's a lot of different aspects to it, but the darkness of the dark night is something you have to embrace. I thought it was really interesting, Rob, in a recent interview with Andy Serkis, who's of course starring as Alfred in the new rendition, he was asked about it and he specifically said he thinks that this Batman, this Matt Reeves Batman being portrayed by Robert Pattinson is going to be a darker take than we've had before. And he talks about how it gets really into the emotion and psychology of the character. And I'm like, yes, because, you know, a lot of people have been wanting, understandably so, to see the detective aspect of Batman explored. And I completely agree with that. That's they should. That's great. But I think there's other things to explore as well, including his emotional state and his psyche and all that kind of stuff. And I think if you're really going to go into a Batman movie, understand those nuances of him. I think you got to go a bit darker. I think you have to go a bit more broody. I think that's just a part he has to be. And you have to juxtapose better, Rob, I think. You have to juxtapose the difference between his persona, his real identity of Batman and his fake persona as Bruce Wayne. You have to give that kind of dichotomy there. And I think if you go darker, you do that. Anyway, I personally loved what I've heard here from Andy Serkis on this, Rob. You heard these comments from Andy Serkis. What do you think about it? Well, you know, to me, I'm like, it, it, it sounds... What I, John, you know what I wanted from this movie? A new take. I love the fact that we've had the Tim Burton take. You know, we had the Joel Schumacher take, for better or for worse. We've had the Christopher Nolan take. We, we've had the Zack Snyder take on the Batman character. And now we're going to get the Matt Reeves take, which is, I think, what makes Batman interesting is that we get these reinventions and these new, these new, as long as this feels like a whole different film, I mean, the, the character, I love the fact that we're getting different iterations of Batman. And I think we're going to get, I don't know how to, I, I think we're going to get a more, it might be darker, but I think it's going to be a more classical version mm. of Batman, if that makes sense. You know, maybe it may be a version that seems like it was made in a different era. I don't know. I mean, just those pictures of him on a motorcycle and the way the suit looks, it looks like it's going to be more grounded and yet maybe timeless, if that makes sense. I don't know. I mean, I've obviously we've never we haven't seen any footage, so I'm talking out of my ass. But that's what it feels like. And when I hear when I read these comments, I read them yesterday and I was like, well, this sounds 
this sounds interesting. I mean, I'm I'm down. And remember, Andy Serkis and Matt Reeves did a great job with two Planet of the Apes movies. So they've got they've got a shorthand the way they work together. So I'm expecting great things, man. Great things. I agree. And you know what? It's it's easy these days because being darker is the cool thing right now, right? So it's easy to come out and say, oh, yeah, this will be darker. And we've heard some of I the way Andy Serkis expresses, I, I think I really I buy it. I, I buy that that's what they're going to do. And when you especially look at some of the tone that Matt Reeves brought to some of those apes films, you know, a, a darker kind of look at things is something that he's very comfortable in. So it's going to be interesting to see. Question is, guys. What do you think about that, about the idea of taking this Batman character who's now got a fairly extensive history on the big screen, even if it's only recent, you know, in terms of a couple of decades. But what do you think about them taking this character now and making him even darker at this point as they go delve more into the detective aspect of him and all kind of stuff? What do you guys think? Jump down into the comment section below and let me know your thoughts. All right, guys, with that down, we got one more thing to talk about off the top, and that is this. Rob, we've been talking for some time now about the plight of AMC theaters. You know, we've we've covered it all before. Cole's notes. They spent tons of money to acquire new theaters, upgrade their theaters, put in the prime theaters, put in all the leather seats, and then a ton of money to get their AMC A-list. The best thing that ever happened to film fans, by the way, to get their AMC A-list program up and running. And just as they finished spending all that money and going into all that debt to start reaping the rewards, the lockdown happens and the quarantine happens and they're forced to shut down and they've been in some financial trouble. So, Rob, you and I have talked a bit about over the past number of weeks, um, you know, what's the navigating way out for AMC? How can this resolve? Are they going to completely go under? Will a third party uh, come and get involved in this? And I want to jump in a time machine right now, Rob. I want to jump in a time machine. And I want to go back about one month, about a month ago, when I proposed a possible solution to how AMC might be getting out of all this thing. Let's jump back and visit John and Rob from one month ago. Check this out. And there are Uh the financial institutions that are saying they expect AMC to breach. And there is a low likelihood that they will ever reopen their doors again. I, of course, believe they will because I believe a third party will come in and save the day. Be that the studios or maybe a company like Amazon. But Amazon. Amazon. I don't see Amazon having a problem if they owned and took over this major movie theater chain. I don't see there being any problem because Amazon makes money when people buy movies off of Amazon, even if those movies belong to other people. Listen, with Amazon trying to get a foot into the entertainment business, with them having enough money to, without blinking much, paying off all the debt for AMC theaters and having all the mar- the operating capital in the world to make them up and run, you keep all the infrastructure there. You keep all yeah. the people. You just come in and say, okay, now we are paying off that $5 billion in debt, which Jeff Bezos goes, wait a minute, I think I've got that in like a back pocket here. Yeah, here, here you go. Here's $5 billion. So you pay off the $5 billion debt, you take over controlling interest of the company, and you just let it run, and you slowly start to work that synergy of working in Amazon branding into it. So that was one month ago, Rob. That was one month ago. So what do we wake up here to today? Ed and I wake up today and we find this and the headlines. AMC Entertainment stock soars on Amazon acquisition acquisition speculation. Actually, and it's being reported in a lot of the financial uh, trades right now that it looks like 
Amazon is interested and is circling the idea of taking a look at AMC theaters. And Rob, you know what I think about this. I mean, I already made this case a while ago. I think this is a perfect marriage. I think this is a perfect marriage on a couple of levels. Number one, Amazon, I mean, AMC, I should say, AMC needs help right now. There's just, there's no way around that. AMC needs help right now, badly. They need a huge influx of cash. They need some stability. They need that assurance that they're going to be able to move forward. They need that. Now, also, let's take a look at Amazon. Amazon, in the last number of years, Rob, has been in the business of trying to establish not only their digital dominance, but they have gradually more and more been developing a brick and mortar physical location arm to their business, whether it's the Amazon stores where you can just walk in and find some high profile things in Amazon. We've got one of those in Glendale here, uh, whether it's, you know, their takeover of Whole Foods. They now have grocery chains and all this kind of stuff. They are getting more and more to the physical business. And we already know that Amazon has been making a lot of strides in developing their entertainment arm as well. And, you know, Rob, one of the things I said before that was a hesitation of mine of, of you know, of a, a studio, an entertainment company taking over theater. Let's say Warner Brothers takes over uh, Regal, right? Well, guess what? You might have to now take a bus 20 miles outside of town to watch a Paramount film because are they going to play Paramount films again? Whatever. But guess what? Amazon is already in the business of selling other people's stuff. Yeah, you want to come watch a Disney movie at an, at an AMC, which now stands for Amazon Movie Cinemas? You want to come to an AMC theater and watch Disney? All our, Yeah, come on in, because we're going to make money off it. It's great. They're already in that business. This would be a dream. I think this is a dream scenario. And then guess what? You brought this up before, Rob, and I think it was a really important point. What does Amazon know about running a theater chain? Nothing. That's why they just take it over and keep all the infrastructure in place. You keep the CEO, you keep their executive officers, you let them continue to run, you just give them oversight, and gradually over time you start to integrate. Who knows? Maybe AMC A-List gets rolled into Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime member? You're an A-List member. I mean, I, I don't know, but I think the possibilities are endless. I loved this idea before. I still love it now. But, but now it should be pointed out here that these reports have not said that this is imminent. They, they're saying there's been some initial discussions. They don't know. They don't even know if these discussions are still ongoing. But clearly, Rob, the people at AMC and Amazon carefully study what Robert Meyer Burnett and John Campia say on the John Campia show and take action when we speak. But anyway, Rob, uh, you see these reports. What are you thinking about this notion now of an Amazon possibly looking at taking over an AMC theaters? Well, you know, on my own show, I reported on an article that a guy wrote in Medium, really smart article about how Hollywood would move forward, how the entertainment business would move forward. And he postulated about a, this about a month ago that Amazon taking over Holly, uh, taking over studios would be a very good thing because exactly what you said, they've got brick and mortar stores that they can use the space to a better advantage that there's a lot of space in movie theaters that maybe are not like imagine, John. Like something like the Arclight or like an, uh, say an AMC that has 16 theaters, right? Well, what if they took it over and two of those theaters were not theaters anymore, but they used them for retail space, you know, or put other things in those auditoriums and turned it into a 14 plex with two stores, like two Amazon whatever, you know, whatever they want to sell. And it, it, it's I think they could turn it into an, a, an amazing conglomeration. You could rebrand it, like you said, Amazon movie theaters. What if it's Amazon's master cinema, you know, or something? And <laughs> and and it, it's all it's all Dolby, 
every every auditorium is Dolby. They turn the whole thing into this. But like you said, it's all Amazon Prime, Amazon Prime theaters, Amazon Prime membership. It, it's co-branded all the way across the board. And like you said, you keep the entire infrastructure. You keep all the the, the people in place that are already there. And I think it could be. Look, there's a lot of people that are scared of Amazon's dominance all over the world. But right now I'm thinking about how can we save our movie theaters? And I think Amazon also being in production, I'd like to see more Amazon product in movie theaters. Like maybe they would launch, I don't know, a series there. Like I would love to have seen the first three or four episodes of Jack Ryan in a movie theater, you know, or or uh, The Expanse. Amazon uh, has The Expanse. What if you had an opportunity to come watch episodes of the expanse in a theater man i love that or an upcoming lord of the rings series oh yeah oh yeah i mean you know you could come in and they could even do a thing where they show an episode of a show as a short subject and then they show a movie you know you could go see manchester by the sea which is an amazon movie i mean i don't mean they bring it back but something new i mean if they're i think synergistically it's good for the entertainment business as a whole uh and i think it would be great as long as amazon doesn't skimp on the theaters as long as presentation is there the thing that i I, you know those dolby cinemas are so dope as long as they maintain that quality that's why rather than saying amazon movie cinema or whatever I, i i think they should call them master cinemas or something and and make sure that you're getting a premium experience across the board that's what's i'm most interested in best project when you look at what Amazon is doing with their physical stores right now, they are pioneering new technology. Like a lot of these Amazon, they have these grab and go stores where literally you go into the store. They are they are pioneering great technology. You go into one of these Amazon stores. Have you seen this? And you scan your AMC Prime bar, right? When you go into the store and you scan your AMC Prime thing as you go in, you just grab everything you need and walk out. And it automatically they have all this sensor technology to know exactly what it is you what what it is you took and put in your cart, and then you just bag yourself and leave. You don't have to go to a cashier. You don't have to do anything because it already knows what you got. You already scanned in, and it just charges your Amazon Prime. If they're going to take that sort of care and detail and and you know investing in new technologies and experiences, the consumer experience. Can you imagine what they could bring to a movie theater chain? Now, look, I sh- let me disclose here, full disclosure up the top for those of you who don't know. Uh, my wife recently left Hasbro and is now an employee. She's now uh, a senior program manager for Amazon. So I just want to give full disclosure on that. But that, not regardless, I think this is a beautiful idea. I love Me it. Too. And I, to think about what they could bring to a consumer experience in the movie theaters. I think it could be really fun. But I don't know, guys. Question is, what do you guys think about that? Maybe you see some pitfalls to that idea. Maybe we, we've we had enough of Amazon taking over everything. I don't know. How do you guys feel about it? Jump into the comments section below and let me know your thoughts. All right, guys. Before we get into our main topics today, I just want to remind you guys of a couple of little things here as we before we get into our main topics. Uh, the first thing I want to remind you of is that, hey, if you are on the road, you're at the gym, you're at work, you don't really have the opportunity to visually watch a YouTube video of the John Campus Show, good news. There was now, about a month ago, we launched the audio-only version of the podcast for everybody, thanks to our Patreon supporters. So you can now go to your podcasting app of choice. Just look for the John Campia Show. There you see it on Apple Podcasts right now. Just subscribe to it and listen to it whenever you don't have the opportunity to take in the show while you're doing something else. Also, guys, of course, want to always make you aware. 
that we now have the shop open, you can simply go anytime over to the johncampiashow.com slash shop. And from there, you can get John Campus Show merchandise. You want to see, I just did a behind the scenes tour of the studio. If you want to see a listing of everything that I talked about in that, I have it all listed here over there. You can go and find that there. Uh, so there's that stuff. And uh, you guys can go and check that out whenever you like. All right, guys. With all that down, let's now move on to our main topics today. And how do we select our main topics here in the John Campy Show? Well, it's really rather simple. You see, you guys come up with our main topics by going anytime 24-7 over to www.thejohncampiashow.com slash contact. Once you get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. Hit submit. And then maybe, just maybe, you might see your topic or question featured as a main topic here on the John Campia Show. With that down... Let's move on to main topic number one. And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Poe, who writes, Hey, John, love the show. Thank you so much, Poe. Appreciate that. Did you see the new Gods director, Ava DuVernay, gave an, a new update on the movie? She said that she's working on the fourth draft of the script, and she said that a character named All Widow will make an appearance in the film. What are your thoughts and stay safe. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that question in, man. And yeah, so what Poe is referring to, as we go over here and take a look at that, Ava DuVernay, who was announced, it feels like in 2012, uh, that she was going to direct a new Gods movie, but in all seriousness, I think it was like 2017, 2018. It's been a couple of years, it feels like, since she announced it. She was got on a social media, and she did mention... Because you asked so nicely, working on a fourth draft of a scene featuring All Widow this week, XO. So she is still working on this thing. Now, listen, they announced this forever ago. I said at the time that I have my doubts that this project is ever going to see the light of day. And let me update that. I still have my doubts that this project is ever going to see the light of day. I think Ava DuVernay wants to do it. I think she's clearly working on it. But lots of projects get worked on, Rob, that never actually cross the finish line and get produced in a movie. I don't know. This just seems to me like it doesn't work. Now, there could be an argument to be made here that DC, before giving the official green light on anything, is going to sit back and wait and see in what happens with the Eternals. And not that there's a tremendous amount of similarities between the Eternals, just maybe on the surface, the Eternals and the New Gods. But it could be you could make an argument that maybe they're sitting back and waiting to see how that gets responded to by an audience, I don't know. I, I still am skeptical about this. But anyway, Rob, I wanted to throw this over to you because you know more about New Gods than I do and all that kind of stuff. I, I've done a little bit of reading here, but this character, All Widow, they're talking about. What, how, what's your reaction to her talking about she's going to be including this character and what ramifications could that have on the, the project as a whole? Well, she's queen of the spiders, and and she's basically she's a good guy or a good a good queen, and she assists. Uh, she she's a a she's an ally of the new gods against their struggle against dark side. It's kind of a deep cut, sort of. Um, you know, I, when I hear when I hear that she mentions all widow, I'm like, that wouldn't be at the top of my list for for one of the characters that I would want to see. Not that that won't be cool. But, you know, I, I'm more interested in Mr. Miracle and Big Barda and Orion, you know, and I, I, I it just I think it's kind of odd that she mentions that it's cool. But I, I would rather know that, you know, more marquee characters are are going to be in the new gods. But again, you know, I keep thinking about I like Ava DuVernay. She's done some great work. I mean, Selma and the 13th, that documentary. Great. But I really didn't like A Wrinkle in Time. 
And that was a book I grew up with. So I, I'm skeptical. I'm going to maintain a high level of skepticism for this movie, John. I want it to be good. I want it to come out. Um, I love Kirby's Fourth World. I, 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 I please make this good. Yeah, I don't I, know if it's. I don't I, know I'm with you on Wrinkle right. in Time. I wanted to like Wrinkle in Time. Oh. Not, not a good film. But you know, it's it's funny though because I remember you and I even had a discussion. There were there were people out there like before this movie came out. There were people out there who said a Wrinkle in Time is kind of un- unfilmable. Like it's almost like the uh, Cimmerillion in a way. It's like almost unfilmable. How are you going to do that? And hey, it was a tall order. And like you've already pointed out the stuff she's done both on Netflix and of course Selma. She knows how to tell a story on film. Oh, yeah. And, and Plus, I, I was disapp- have a crush on her. <laughs> and I was disappointed with Wrinkle in Time like you were. I, I still listen. I, I still don't believe this project's actually going to happen. I, I, I'm I'm not saying 100 percent alone. I'm just saying I remain skeptical. Do you think this project's actually going to happen? Do you think Warner Brothers will actually do a new God's movie? I think this movie from a tonal standpoint is a tough nut to crack. I remember John wondering, could they make Thor, a Thor movie work in the same universe as Iron Man? Well, this movie has about 10 different characters that are going to each have their own problems being portrayed on screen, much less being portrayed on screen altogether. I mean, remember this, this movie, the, the new gods have a character called the black racer who, who goes around the universe on skis. Now, how do you make that work? You know, he's kind of like the Silver Surfer, but on skis. Uh, I don't know, man. It's a tough. This is a tough one. A tough one to see. How is it going to work? I don't know. All right, guys. Well, the question here is, what do you think about uh, Ava referring to and referencing all Widow going in? Do you think this movie will ever actually see the light of day? Maybe you're excited about the prospect of it. What do you guys think? Jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right. With that down, let's move on to main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Sam Sprill, who writes, Hey, John and Rob, it's been reported that Mike Flanagan is set to adapt Stephen Stephen King's novel Revival for Warner Brothers. For me, this is exciting news since he is the director behind Dr. Sleep and the Netflix series The Haunting on House Hill. Your thoughts. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And listen, I'm going to tell you right now, Dr. Sleep was probably the most underappreciated and underperforming compared to what it deserved to do movie from last year. Dr. Sleep starring Ewan McGregor, which was a terrible title for it. I don't care that the book, that that was the name of the book. I don't care. It was a terrible title for it. It confused too many people. They didn't market it right. Um, But the movie itself was great. I was perfectly happy with the film i had a very very good time watching that movie i thought they did some really cool things with it it deserved to do better of course it it very much did uh struggle a bit but i'm telling you what mike flanagan did a really good job i feel directing that and i've seen a few episodes of that netflix series my wife loves it i liked what i saw i haven't seen the whole thing i got like three or four episodes in and then i got sidetracked but he's done a good job with this now how i feel though about him doing revival I don't know because I have not read Revival. I mean, I've read the synopsis. I understand it's about this preacher kind of loses the way, his connection to this kid later on, the re- the two reconnect, all this kind of stuff. I-, I really don't know much about it. All I know is this. He did a fabulous job, Rob, with one Stephen King property. Sign me up to see if he wants to do another. Now, Rob, besides being a film guy, you're a book guy. I'm going to go mm. out on a limb and, 
And I'm going to guess you have. We haven't talked about this. I'm going to guess you have read Revival and you know about it. Have you read it? And if so, give us a, a what's the it basically about? And then what do you think about Mike coming on to direct and develop a project based on it? Well, not only have I read it, it's my favorite Stephen King book that's come out in the last, I don't know, decade. Really? And yeah, it's it's the odyssey of a man who has a very interesting relationship with electricity, let's say. And and there's elements of Frankenstein. Uh, there's elements of Ringling Brothers and ba- uh, Bailey Circus. It's a very interesting character study. And I, 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 I loved the book. Now, I've talked to a lot of people that didn't love it as much as I did. I really like this book. It has, it, it, to me, it was classic King. It deals with Americana. It deals with memory. It deals with loss, personal loss. Um, it's really good. And it's the kind of, it, to me, it was classic King. And uh, I, I love the book. And I think he's a perfect director for it. I, I'm really excited. And like you, I thought Dr. Sleep was what Dr. Sleep did was actually pretty amazing being a sequel to both the novel and the movie, The Shining, which is different considering which is crazy considering how different both of those things are. So I'm stoked about Revival. And I, I think uh, I, I, I can't wait to see who they're going to cast in the movie because mm. casting is going to be a big deal in this one. Well, they've got the right filmmaker behind it, and that's the part that excites me most. Question is, guys, have any of you guys read Revival? If not, what do you think about the guy who directed Doctor Sleep coming in developing this new Stephen King property? I'm excited about it. Rob is clearly excited about it, but maybe you aren't. Jump down into the comments section below and let us know what you guys think. All right. With that down, let's move on to main topic number three. And our third main topic today gets submitted to us by Matthew Williams. And Matthew Williams writes, The Mandalorian has been Disney Plus's biggest project so far. Yes, it has. Not so much the Mandalorian's documentary series, but the Mandalorian has. And The Hollywood Reporter has revealed that uh, Tamara Morrison, who played Jango Fett in Episode 2, has been cast to play Boba Fett, something we talked about over the weekend. He and his clone son, uh, the clone son of Jango Fett. Is this a good idea I thought Boba Fett died in Jedi. Are they trying to make up for not making a Boba Fett movie or series? Thanks for all you do and stay safe. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yes, we the news broke on Friday, actually, <clears throat> that Morrison, the actor who played Jango Fett and was just recently in Aquaman, by the way, and we liked him as Aquaman's dad and that very much. But that Hollywood reporter saying he's coming into Mandalorian season two and he's going to be playing the bounty hunter, Boba Fett, who they, of course, teased in the episode Gunslinger of season one of Mandalorian. That's got a lot of people excited. I'm torn. I, like, I'm not going to lie. I'm torn on the idea of Boba Fett coming in. And I talked about this on Open Mic this weekend because on the one hand, I don't like Star Wars shrinking the universe. Like, I don't like that every time we go into a Star Wars property, we have to trip over another character we've already met and we already know. You know, Rob, the analogy I've always given is that You know how if you live in a big town or a small town by when you walk out your front door, how long does it take you to bump into somebody you already know? If you walk out your door and you can walk around for an hour or two and not see anybody you know, you probably live in a a Los Angeles or New York. You probably live in a really big world. However, if you step out your front door and you immediately at your doorstep run into five people you know, chances are you probably live in a pretty small town. And Star Wars to me over the years... 
has continuously shrunk and shrunk and shrunk and shrunk the Star Wars universe instead of embracing the expansion of it. And one of the things I loved about Mandalorian was it seemed to, it's the first real new Star Wars thing that we've gotten that just was all new. New characters, new stories, new locations, although they did visit like Gunslinger, they visited, revisited some places. So on the one hand, I'm a little bit apprehensive of them bringing in Boba Fett. On the other hand, he is one of the coolest Star Wars characters of all time. The fact that they're bringing Morrison back for it, what is there not to be intrigued by that? So I, I'm a little bit torn, I admit, I'm, I'm of two different minds. But Rob, when the question comes up about why do this, I'll, I'll tell you right now why Disney Plus is bringing in Boba Fett. I will tell you right now. It's two words. Fan service. It's totally fan service. It's nothing but fan service. Because Boba Fett is super popular. Everybody gets excited at Boba Fett. Let's bring in Boba Fett. It, it's, it's pure fan service. Now, I should also mention that fan service is like any other tool. It can be a bad thing or it can be a great thing. It's like any tool in a filmmaker's belt. Fan service is just a tool. It all depends on how you use it. We've seen a lot of movies and TV shows use fan service and it comes across as pathetic. We've seen some things use fan service like Endgame. Listen, there's a bunch of stuff in Endgame that's just fan service, but it was used properly and created incredible effect and emotion, right? And so it all depends on how they use it. But I am telling you right now, the main reason they're bringing Boba Fett is purely on a fan service basis. And let's just hope that it'll be fan service the way Disney used in Endgame as opposed to uh, you know a number of other things we've seen. Rob, you and I haven't had a chance to talk since this news broke. What do you think about them saying that Morris is coming back to play Boba Fett and the whole thing? Why do you think they're doing it? All that kind of stuff. What are your thoughts on this situation? Well, first of all, like you said, I don't like the Star Wars universe made small. Now, this show takes place between Jedi and uh, Force Awakens. We've seen here's here's something that I would hope that we would see that if Boba Fett shows up, that his armor does not look exactly the same. You know, we've seen the the we've seen Pedro Pascal's Mandalorian change his armor, upgrade his armor over the course of eight episodes of the Mandalorian. I hope that Boba Fett will recognize him because of the color scheme. I know that seems strange, but one of the things about Star Wars is they never seem to take the passage of time into consideration in these movies. And one of the things I really liked about Solo was seeing the Millennium Falcon with cowlings on it, you know, with the, with the, yeah. with the looking new. I mean, so you, it was still recognizable as the Falcon, but it made sense. Okay, here's what the Falcon looked like 20 years before. And I, I, I just, not only is the Star Wars universe small, but they just don't take, cons it, it, I want the passage of time. I want, the, the, I want to believe, John, and if Boba Fett shows up, and Boba Fett is a good character and he's well-defined, and he doesn't just show up as some stupid little cameo that there's a purpose for him being there. And man, open the episode with the flashback of him crawling out of the Sarlacc pit after having killed the thing, you know, I mean, or maybe we'll see a la Drax in Guardians of the Galaxy 2 when he gets swallowed by that creature and he's in there with his knives <laughs> cutting his way out. I mean, that episode with Boba Fett better begin like, you know, 30 years ago showing Boba Fett climbing out of the or however long, eight years ago, whatever. I mean, I want to see that. And as long as they bring him in and it doesn't seem like like I agree with you, it's such shameless fan service. But if the story makes sense and if they make me believe I'm in. All right, guys. Question here for you is 
What do you think about all this? What do you think about them bringing Boba Fett into Mandalorian season two? Some people say, hey, it's a perfect fit since, you know, Mandalorian. Some people might feel like a little bit apprehensive. Yet at the same time, I'm excited. So I'm, I'm kind of torn on it. How are you feeling about it? Why do you think they made this decision? I want to know what you guys think. Jump into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right. With that down, we got one more thing to talk about here today. And our fourth and final main topic today gets submitted to us by Edgar Thompson, who writes, Hey, John and crew, I wanted to know if you had a chance to see that Deadpool creator Rob Liefeld still believes that Hugh Jackman will come back to play Wolverine at least one more time. With the whispers and rumors that Jackman might return already, does this add any credibility to those rumors? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yes, ever since you know, Hugh Jackman announced that he was hanging up the claws for good. There have been constant rumors and buzzing that, oh, Hugh Jackman's coming back. Did you know Hugh Jackman's coming back? Did you hear all this? Uh, Rob, I still remember when one of the first promo images of um, Thanos came out before Infinity War and it showed that Thanos had like the three scars down the side. I still remember this massive thing online about this is proof and confirmation that Wolverine is going to be in it because three claws. I mean, I, we were, but you know, that's the thing that just kind of shows how much everybody loves Hugh Jackman as Wolverine and everybody's want to see it. And yes, in recent days we have had, more whispers and, and more speculation about it. Now, adding to that comes Deadpool co-creator uh, Rob Liefeld, who said the following. He was asked about the possibility of a Hugh Jackman, talk about the future Deadpool and possibility of Hugh Jackman coming back and who they might cast next. This is what he said. I'm stuck on Hugh Jackman. Having met Hugh and having loved Hugh, there is only Deadpool because of Wolverine. I was doing Deadpool in the comics to get to Wolverine. Wolverine was always the goal. I can't answer the question on Wolverine because I'm stuck on Hugh Jackman. I hope to God he comes back. I do. He's been seriously firm that he's not going to be Wolverine, and I don't believe him. I foolishly don't believe him. Rob Liefeld is saying he still believes that Hugh Jackman will come back, and this is compounded by the fact that we've had a lot of people you know, recently, even in the last month, Rob, there have been more whispers and rumors and things made up. Did you hear that Disney is talking with Hugh Jackman about him coming back to play Wolverine? And I'm sure when you have somebody as connected into that universe as Rob coming out and saying, I don't believe that Hugh Jackman is done. I believe he's going to come back. You know, that's only going to spark it even more. Here's the thing about that, though. I completely believe Hugh Jackman is absolutely done playing Wolverine. He's absolutely done playing Wolverine. Um, it just for, for a couple of reasons. One, he played the character for like what? Like well over a decade, almost two decades, almost yeah. two decades. He played the character for about two decades. All right. He had the fabulous swan song in Logan. But Rob, beyond that, when you look at Hugh Jackman, one of the reasons he said emphatically about why it was time for him to hang him up as Wolverine was because he's getting older and he simply does not want to do what a guy like him needs to do to look the way he has looked as Wolverine. He simply doesn't want to do that anymore. He does not want to have to do three hour a day workouts and all this kind of stuff. He just he wants to spend time with his wife and kids and act in different things. And by the way, his his newest movie that's on HBO right now 
is fantastic. Bad Education uh, with him and Allison Janney. It's amazing. Go and watch it if you have a chance. It's, it's on HBO now. But he wants to do different types of projects. He wants to embrace and get back to doing musicals. And he wants to do all this kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, he just does not want to do what he had to do to look like Wolverine. And if you saw him recently, while he is clearly still in really good shape, he's not in Wolverine shape anymore. And I just don't think at his age, I don't think he's got with the kids that he I just don't think he has any interest in doing it. He did his due, Rob. He served his time. He served the fan community so well. And I appreciate what, what Rob Liefeld is saying. I do. I appreciate that there are fans like myself who would love to see him come back as Wolverine. God, even as just a cameo in a Deadpool movie, uh, would love to see it. I think we just have to come to, to, to grips with the fact that he's done. He's insisted he's done. He's clearly looking he's, like he has no interest in getting back into that type of shape. He's moving on, and I think we do too, and we just need to look forward to a new Wolverine. But Rob, let me ask you. You've heard the whispers and rumors as well. Now, compounding that, somebody like Lifehall coming out and saying these things, where do you think things stand right now in terms of like uh, Hugh Jackman maybe coming back as a Wolverine sometime? What do you think? I I'm with you on this, dude. I think that Logan was such a great way to take that character out. How many actors play a fictional character for 18 years and do it as well? Arguably, his best Wolverine was his last Wolverine. And and I think, you know, he played Wolverine from 2000 to 2017. That's 17 years. And like you just said, the guy's in his 50s now to get into that kind of Wolverine shape. I mean, I could see him if they did some kind of a cameo. But it's not like it's not like you're gonna get whatever he would be in a in a Deadpool movie. It would be a joke, like literally, it would be this funny, wacky, jokey thing. And I just don't think that Hugh Jackman, after doing Logan, would come back as some kind of a throwaway guffaw to the, the legacy of that character. I just I just don't think that he'll do it unless he comes back and he's actually playing Hugh Jackman, the actor who played Wolverine. I could see them doing something like that in a, in a Deadpool movie, but I, I don't know. I just, I don't think he's going to come back, man. I don't see, see I, it. I think you're 100% on the mark there. I think the possibility exists of a quick cameo and a wink, um, that sort of thing. I, because obviously, look, the relationship between Hugh Jackman and Ryan Reynolds, their online feud, their Twitter feud is the things of, of legend. It's like one of the funniest things online. But these two guys uh, are great together. They have a great relationship. It would People would love to see even just a thing. He doesn't have to work out. Put on the leather jacket, have Deadpool bump into him in a bar for a second, just freak out. Oh, my God, you're him or something like that. And then leave. I could look. That's always within the realm of possibility. That can always happen. But the dream that I think a lot of us fans have of seeing a true Deadpool Wolverine with Ryan Reynolds and Hugh Jackman on screen together. I oh, God, well, I would love to see that. But. It's just not going to happen. And I think, you know, I read somebody say, Rob, you know, Hugh, Jack Hugh Jackman owes it to the fans to to come back for one more ride. And I would say the F with that. Hugh Jackman gave the fans nearly two decades of this yeah. character of busting his ass and working his ass off. And he reaped great rewards. Sure. And he kept coming back and doing it and ended it with. One of the, in my opinion, Rob, one of the top three greatest comic book movies of all time in Logan. 
he served the fans for a long time. And if he says it's time for him to move on, I think this whole don't besmirch his legacy as Wolverine by going, he owes it to the fans. No, he 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 gave to the fans. He, he gave, gave it to the office. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> yeah, he did. That's a great way to put it. He did it. So I don't know. Who knows? Guys, what do you think about this? Do you think, oh, my God, why why are people still talking about this again? Are you thinking like, hey, man, listen, if Rob Liefeld is saying he believes Jackman's still going to come back, maybe there's something to it. What do you think about? Would you even want to see Hugh Jackman come back as Wolverine at this point? Or is it just time with the X-Men coming into the MCU? Is it just time to start fresh and give us our new Wolverine? What do you guys think? Jump down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With all that down and out of the way, we're going to move on to our live questions here in just a minute. Just a reminder, there are two ways to send in your live questions. Number one, the best way to do it is to simply use the tip link that you can find the link in the top of the description of this video. And then you just go and click it's streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. The other way you can do it is by using the super chat feature uh, right here on YouTube if you are watching live. Now, I'm going to let you guys know I made this announcement on open mic on Saturday because I've been doing play in chats through the week. There have been a few questions that got skipped and missed and overlooked because, you know, I do play in chats and what got mixed in with what were questions meant for the John Campia show. So uh, starting this past Saturday or this past weekend, I am separating out the questions. So we're going to answer the tip questions first, and then we will answer the super chat questions just so I can separate them as I'm doing plain chats to make sure nobody gets their questions missed. So I'm going to do them separately. Uh, and there we go. And we will do that when we come back. So for now, Robert and I are going to take a quick, probably two and a half minute break here. I'm going to stretch the legs. We're going to refill our drinks, rest the vocal cords. So if you guys will hang tight with us, don't go anywhere. We will be right back with your live questions. We'll see you in just a minute. All right, guys, and we are back. Thank you so much for your patience and indulgence since we took a little bit of a break there. And for now, let's dive in to your questions that you guys have been sending in. We're going to start things off here with Armando Martinez, who writes, recently watched a lot of Star Wars content, really love the Latin representation in recent projects. Diego Luna, Oscar Isaac, Pedro Pascal, such great actors. True. No, it's great. And it is really good to see Star Wars being such a big, vast galaxy when they're not shrinking it by bringing in all characters we already know, but it's see them bringing in more and more uh, inclusion and stuff like that as well. It is really great to see. And those are the key thing here, Armando, is that those are all great performers. That's the important thing. And it's really good to see. All right. The film guy writes, Hey, John, regarding the cameras used for your documentary, if you are hoping that it could possibly go to a streaming service, they generally only accept films shot with a minimum of 10-bit video codec, and the Sonys you have are only 8-bit best regards. And see, there's a little bit of confusion in that. And Rob, I remember this happened. There was a lot of confusion because remember this, Rob, that a little while ago, um, there was like these guidelines put out by Netflix saying these are the types of cameras that have to be used to make Netflix series. The thing is... That was true of cameras and equipment being used for Netflix originals. Netflix and some and many other streaming services, they actually would still get other movies and projects that were not like, for instance, with Netflix. I know for a fact there are a bunch of projects that they have taken onto the service that aren't Netflix originals and weren't made under the Netflix banner, but they have acquired them to put them on regardless, even though they don't meet those specifications. So I did look into that. And apparently, yes, the streaming services will still acquire projects regardless if it meets those technical requirements or not. There are certain ones that they do. But Rob, have you heard anything different about that? 
No, but uh, I mean, I, I'm working on this Netflix project. They have very strict guidelines of what they want in terms of deliverables and in terms of technology. So, yeah, I mean, some things that they like, they just it wasn't it wasn't under those guidelines and they will acquire things. But but they are pretty strict. They yeah, are pretty when it strict. comes to their original programming. Yeah, they absolutely are. All right. Next one up. J.J. The Sith Plane sends in a $50 tip. Thank you so much for that, J.J. The Sith Plane, for supporting the channel on that level. And if there is a question in here, we will answer it now and answer it in its own standalone video in the next couple of weeks. Keep your eyes open for it. That's right. J.J. The Sith Plane writes, Hey, John, one of my favorite movies is Apocalypto. It is a crazy film and brilliantly directed by Mel Gibson, actually. Uh, so last night, me and my girlfriend wanted to watch it, only to realize it was nowhere to be found. No story streaming, not even to buy. What's the deal with this? I have to believe that's not true because I watched it on streaming, um, like not Netflix, but I watched it on streaming like a year or two ago. I know I've watched it on streaming, so I, I know that that can't be true. I don't know. I couldn't tell you off the top of my head where it is, but it's available. Like it's it's available somewhere because I've watched it. I just can't I couldn't tell you right now where I got it from. I want to say I got it from Google Play Store because that's where I normally get my my digital content. But I don't I can't remember that for sure. Uh, Rob, have you heard anything about this at all? No, I haven't. Um, but um, I, I, you know, that doesn't mean it's it's not out there. You know, it's not. I, I just maybe I haven't been paying attention. All right. Hey, listen, JJ, I'll tell you what, I will look into that a little bit more and see what I can find. So keep your eyes open for when I do your question as its own standalone video on the channel. Again, thank you for supporting the channel on that level, dude. And I will see what I can find out for you. Thanks for writing that in, man. All right. JJ Sith Plane also sends in another $50 tip. Um, thank you so much for that, dude. Huni writes in. A few days ago, I was on Netflix and so happened to stumble across one of my guilty pleasures, Mortal Kombat. I love that movie so much, regardless of how horrible it is. What is one of your favorite movies that's just bad? And well, first of all, Rob, I got to say, like Mortal Kombat, it is it is truly the epitome of a movie that I just look at and go, this was not a good movie. And oh, my God, I love it so much. I just I love Mortal Kombat. But, you know, the one that I often go to. When, when people talk about guilty pleasures or movies that are truly, truly terrible, but I get enormous amounts of entertainment from watching them. You know what I'm going to say, Rob? It's Vanilla Ice is cool as ice. I knew it you were going to say that. <laughs> it is seriously, it is one of the worst motion pictures ever made in cinematic history. But, oh my God, it's so enjoyable to watch. It's so much fun. You got, here's, here's what you got to do. You got to get a group of four, five, six or more friends. Have a couple of adult beverages. I don't drink myself, but have a couple of adult beverages. Pop that in and just enjoy. You will laugh more uh, at this movie and have such a good time watching it. It is crazy. Rob, if you had to say, what's your one go-to movie that you just know is horrible, but man, you cannot help but watch it. I got to tell you, it's The Specialist with Sylvester Stallone Stallone, and Sharon Stone and it's got a John Barry score I I, I mean it's it's the pinnacle of of studio uh, filmmaking that should by all it it should be good but it's and it's not that it's I mean it's not horrible like Plan 9 from Outer Space horrible it's just so 
it's just so just ridiculous, but I love it. So, you know, I love anything Sylvester Sloan's in. But what what's more amazing to me is there's a love scene in a shower between Sylvester Stallone and yep. Sharon Stone. And the camera lingers more on Stallone's muscles than it does on Sharon Stone's gorgeous naked body. And that is the epitome of what's wrong with the film. Not that I don't love looking at Sly's body, but uh, <laughs> come on, man. Really? Um, all right. Next up. Uh, and again, we will address that in its own standalone video at some point in the next couple of weeks. Thanks for sending that in, man. All right. Miguel E. writes, hey, John and gang, love the show. Thank you so much. We need to talk about how great Mark Ruffalo is. Yep, we normally do. Uh, I just saw the movie Dark Waters. What a great legal thriller and performance. Also hearing the great buzz about his twin performance. And I know this much is true on HBO. Listen, uh, one of the, the movie that to me uh, was not 13 going on 30. But you should go and watch that, Mark. When nobody knew, heard that or knew the name Mark Ruffalo, he was in 13 Going on 30 with Jennifer Garner. But um, the movie to me that made me go, holy crap, this guy is truly legit. I mean, this is truly a great actor. I'm not going to say he's on the elite, elite level, but he is truly one of the really great actors in Hollywood right now. He did this movie a number of years ago um, called The Kids Are All Right. Uh, with Annette Benning and Julie. Oh, I'm forgetting her last name. Um, anyway, uh, he did this film called The Kids Are All Right. And that was the movie to me that made me go, oh, my God, this guy's good. Like, he's so good. Um, but he's also, I mean, talking about Dark Water, it just kind of came in and then flowed out with a barely a whisper. But I believe it was directed by Bill Haynes. And it had... Bill Pullman, who I, I love. It had Anne Hathaway, who I love. It had Tim Robbins, Shawshank Redemption alum, who I love. It's a really, really good little movie. And uh, it didn't get the attention it deserved, Miguel, at all. So I completely agree with you. All right, next up, Fifty Shades of Geek writes, Thanos in Endgame didn't know who Scarlet Witch was because it was Guardians of the Galaxy Thanos 2014 and Scarlet Witch wasn't around until Age of Ultron in 2015. In the words of Ron, Jeremy, I mean, Bruce Banner, timed Time travel. Actually, that's a good point. That's a very, very good point, actually. So, Rob, what he's referring to here is somebody brought up the Scarlet Witch thing, and I talked about just how great that scene was. Like, that scene between her and Thanos, it was three iconic lines. You took everything from me. Thanos, I don't even know who you are. Both incredible badass lines. And then the line that I believed defined Scarlet Witch for the MCU moving forward, you will. That's the line to me that completely defined that character. But at any rate, I said, but you know what? Um, Thanos was playing with her because he clearly, like he already studied the heroes of Earth. He knows who the heroes of Earth are, you know, because we know that from his talk with Tony. But Fifty Shades of Greek just brought up a good point. This was Thanos of a few years previous before Scarlet Witch really became a presence on Earth. I th actually, I think that solves my issue. I, unless you don't think it does, Rob. Can you think of anything? No, I I think that's absolutely correct. And and that's one of the things I really appreciated about the writing in, in Endgame and Infinity War. They they really know their stuff. And I think that that was important. And, and I think that was uh, – there, there's a lot going on there because also the Gamora that we see at the end of Endgame, obviously certain things haven't happened yet there either. Yeah. And that's important to remember. And I'm sure they'll explore that in the next Guardians of the Galaxy film. All right, Fifty Shades also writes, The Lion King, the 1994 classic version, is my favorite movie of all time. It's a perfect movie. Why do you think Mufasa didn't just tell Simba that Scar killed him and that he was innocent? 
in my opinion, he felt that was something Simba needed to figure out by himself. If you're talking about like Force Ghost Mufasa, um, I don't know. I mean, it was. It was a force. It was Force Ghost Mufasa. What What else are we going to call him up in the clouds? Simba. I mean, what else are you going to call him? It's Force Ghost Mufasa. Um, I don't know. Maybe you're right. Maybe it's the same thing about, like, why didn't Obi-Wan, when he appeared to Luke in the frozen wastes of Hoth, so, Luke, you must go to Dagobah, and there you'll be trained by Yoda, the Jedi Master who instructed me. Oh, by the way, Darth Vader's your dad. Bye! Like, why, why, why didn't Ben tell him? I don't know. Maybe he just figured something he would learn in his own time. It's a good question. Rob, why didn't Force Ghost Mufasa just tell Simba? Oh, by the way, you got to go take out your uncle because he's the one who killed me. I don't know. What do you think? Well, I I, I do think it, it's it is that it's it's the wisdom. These characters realize that they have to discover these things on their own because that's the only way they're going to learn. You know, you 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 come to grips with the reality of a situation. I mean, not everybody has a Force Ghost to have them uh, help them deal with their lives and i think sometimes you have to understand that you have to let the universe unfold the way it should and uh if these force ghost people were in interfering with the lives of their of their formerly you know former family members or whatever you know or friends it could really screw things up I mean, can you imagine what what if what if like Luke's like bad, you know, on Dagobah, and like you said, Luke's uh, uh, just this side of death, and Ben's like, yeah, like by the way, brah, Vader's uh, your dad, and then he disappears, and then Han Solo rides up on the Tauntaun. What would happen then? The shock might have killed Luke, you know. <laughs> by the way, you know, Force Ghosts run deep in Hollywood. Rob, I know you were a fan of the television show Dexter. That whole show was based on a relationship between Dexter and his Force Ghost dad, right? right. It was. It's all about for, Force Ghosts everywhere. I'm telling you, folks, Star Wars is everywhere. All right, let's move on to our next one. Uh, next one comes to us from Gavin from Sydney who writes, la, 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 mics, la, 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 la cameras, uh, la, 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 strangely getting aroused by all the tech talk, la, 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 um, never mind, uh, running to the bathroom, just joking, maybe, hashtag filthy, seriously, awesome inside video the other day, and I need Rob's jacket. Well, thanks so much for the Gavin, and for those of you who don't know what Gavin's talking about, on Friday... It was a slower news day, so I had been planning on taking an episode at some point and just giving a full walkthrough of my studio and how a John Campus show gets made. And we did that on Friday, and I've gotten a lot of really good feedback from you guys on that. So I'm glad you guys found it informative and, and helpful and gave you a little bit of a peek behind the curtain about how this show runs. It's still up there. You guys, If you guys want to see it, it's the episode from uh, this past Friday. You can go check it out. So thank you for the kind words, Gavin. I appreciate it. La, la, la. All right. Ben Rayner writes, Hi, John. I gave you my top one through five moments. Here are my movie moments honorable mentions number six vader scene in rogue one that is a great movie moment uh, number seven thor arriving in wakanda great moment number eight et flying over the moon or if you talk about the bikes and everything that is one of the most iconic visual shots in film history for sure indiana jones boulder absolutely number 10 jurassic park first dino look those are some good moments so yeah rob um Ben wrote in last week just some great moments in movies, right? And he gave a great list, and I, I can't remember them off the top of my head, but that's that's another incredible list of just the great moments ever. I mean, then if you want to go back to, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn, get your hands off me, you damn dirty ape. I mean, there's there's a lot of do you have like a movie moment that stands out to you that has just got to be considered like one of the great classics if you think about it. 
Uh, yeah. Be- uh, Betty Davis in All About Eve, one of my favorite movies, as she's walking up the stairs to get ready for her party, she says, fasten your seatbelts, it's going to be a bumpy night. Knowing that shit's gonna go down. I mean, that's my favorite. That's my favorite screenplay ever written. You know, and, and but there's 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 smile, you son of a bitch, at the end of Jaws. Yep. You know, and uh, or Jaws uh, two. Oh no, no, it's no, right. Jaws. No, or was Jaws, it Jaws two? Yeah, no, when he, Jaws. When he, Jaws is the one where he shoots it right. Yeah, the second one yeah. is when he gets him to bite the uh, power cable. You're right. It was the first Jaws. Yeah, yeah. And how about how about? Do you expect me to talk? No, Mr. Bond. I expect, I you, expect to you to die. In, in Goldfinger, I mean, there's so many. Or, or uh, uh, in Patton, when Patton, uh, when Patton at the beginning, when he's giving his speech, because when you put your hand in a pile of goo, the, a moment before with your best friend's face, you'll know what to do. You know, I mean, there's, there's just so many. There's so many. All right, let's keep moving here. Isaac Beebe writes, There is a game coming out on the Nintendo Switch on June 5th called Clubhouse Games, which includes 51 of the most popular classic tabletop, card, and sports games. Some of them include chess, checkers, blackjack, dominoes, solitaire, darts, and more. Check it out. I love those. I love those, like game collection things you can get with some of the classic games. And I've been really enjoying you know, I, I've I used to think like Nintendo Switch was like the poor the poor little brother of the video game console things. But I've been surprised more and more to find out more stuff that's on because I've, I've been picking it up lately to help Anne uh, with her uh, Animal Crossing Island. But I'm learning, like, wait a minute, Witcher 3 is on the Switch? Mortal Kombat 11 is on the Switch? Like, I, I've been really getting more intrigued by it. So thank you for that, Isaac. I'm going to keep my eyes open for that. All right. Uh, Anne Ho writes... One of two. Finally saw The Room. It was the most awkward and most unique experience I've ever had in my 20 plus years of watching movies. Throughout the film, my mind just kept screaming, who talks like this? What the hell is going on? Why are you doing this? Uh, my hands were in, on my mouth. I smacked my head, facepalm, God knows how many times. The entire thing feels like it's from another world, including Tommy Wiseau. Uh, seriously, what the hell was that? And Rob, I'll tell you what, I was late to the room party. I was late to it. It was my buddy Chuck Norris. It's his real name. It's my buddy Chuck Norris uh, was just was having a party at his place one night. It's like, dude, you've never seen the room. I'm like, no. And there's like 20 of us there. It's like, we're stopping everything we're doing, everybody. We're putting on the room. And we watch the room. And I'm like, how? What? the? It is, it is a thing of legend, Rob. It is a thing of legend. Rob, how does a movie like that continue to have like the cult following that it does today and even have another movie, of course, the disaster artist made about it? What was it that gives it that sort of longevity and odd appeal? Well, I think you just nailed it. It's just so odd. Like, there's nothing in it. Like, anybody who's watched a movie would know, like, okay, perhaps we should do another take. Or perhaps when you're walking into the room this way, or literally the room, or uh, uh, when you're saying, you know, when you're, you're tearing me apart, Lisa, why don't you bring it down a little bit? But there's none of that. There's, there's like, no self-awareness of how movies are made at all and performances there's no so it is it becomes in its in its i don't want to say it's inept but there's something in its in its <laughs> in its incompetence it becomes its own unique thing it's not even bad like other movies are bad it is of one of a kind and when you look at it you're like what what is this 
And I think for that reason, you're looking at something that becomes, in its ineptitude, it becomes something unique. It's, mm. it's, of a, it's of a piece. There's nothing else like it. So when you're watching it, it has a strange spell that it casts. I don't know if it's a good spell, but it's unique. It is the only thing like it in the world. So maybe in that, it, it, it's worth celebrating. That's, that's a good insight on that, man. All right. Ryan Lohner writes, season two of the Netflix series, The Hollow, has just been released, and I highly recommend it. Of course, it's a Netflix thing, so I've never heard of it. Yeah, uh, I know, me highly... neither. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> uh, three kids wake up with amnesia and superpowers. Sounds a little bit like Chronicle, uh, except minus the amnesia. In a world that works entirely on video game logic, imagine a Saturday morning cartoon made by David Cronenberg. Well, it sounds like two things. It sounds a little bit like Chronicle crossed with the old 80s Dungeons and Dragons animated TV show. It sounds like a little bit of a mix of that. But Rob, you ju you just said yourself you haven't heard of this either. Never heard of it, but it sounds cool. Like I've I'm, watched that. I, I'm hooked and I like the name, the hollow and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. All right, Lon Ryan, thank you so much for putting that on our radar. I, I think I will go and check that at I'm always looking for good stuff to watch. That's, I think I'll go check that out. All right. Thanks for that, Ryan. All right. Next up, Johnny Five writes, to the John Campia slash Burnett Network community, if you do nothing else today, watch the last seven minutes of the second Mandalorian documentary episode and listen to the wise words of Dave Filoni. It's brilliant. It's a waste of fucking time. It's a, it was a complete waste of fucking time. It is an interesting little story that he tells um, that should have been a YouTube video or something that for people to appreciate, but it was such an inept waste of time. Like we're watching a documentary series that's supposed to be giving us insight and behind the scenes look at Mandalorian. And all it was was, man, isn't Star Wars great? Yeah, Star Wars is so great. Yeah, we get that. We're watching a docuseries on Mandalorian. We all already think it's great. Anyway, I just thought it was a total waste well, of time. Also, and that story was about Phantom Menace. Yeah, from 1999. You know, and, and the idea that family is important. What, we've got the child and we've got the Mandalorian becoming a surrogate father. If that's not obvious from the show itself, I don't know what show you're watching. Yeah. Anyway, just, just my, not to take away that it was, wasn't a nice story. It's just it, that wasn't the place. That wasn't the time or place to do it. Anyway. Uh, this is me on that. All right. Greg Scott Bailey writes, uh, binged upload this weekend with Robbie Amell. And I got to say, it's a great format for him. And I think he does a great job with this role. The story does come off just a little like good place, but still enjoyable. Hats off to Andy Allo playing Nora, too. Yeah. So there's a show called Upload. I've been seeing Amazon Prime pimp an awful lot. Uh, they're really, really pushing the show. And I said, I'm, I have no interest because it just looks like a cheap knockoff of the good place which just ended its really successful run. and uh, But I've had a few people write in and say they actually kind of like it. And I said, hey, yeah, the lead of it looks like Robbie Amell. And they're like, actually, it is Robbie Amell. I'm like, oh, I had no idea. So I might give it a shot at some point. Again, it does feel like a knockoff of The Good Place, but I'm hearing enough people writing, uh, Greg, to say uh, that they like it. So yeah, it is what it is. All right, hashtag Justice for Shaw writes, because Han is a little bitch. <laughs> Rob... I mean, there's still a, a possibility here that Han is the bad guy in this new movie. I still think there is a little bit of a possibility he's the bad guy. Or maybe he's that voice in, in Hobbs and Shaw. Maybe he's that big Dr. Claw voice in the background of Hobbs and Shaw. Probably not. There's too many logic problems with that. Not that Fast and Furious has ever been accused of following logic too closely. But I don't, I don't know, Rob. Where, where are you thinking we are right now? I mean, the movie's now over a year away. I mean, it's, it's forever away now, but... Uh, how are you feeling right now with the return of Han 
now that we've had well, some time to let it marinate. Well, you know, uh, even with the postponement, by the way, we would have seen it by now. And yeah. uh, I, I, we would have seen, you know, a Black Widow. But I am very excited still about the film. And I think, you know, if you think about it, Maybe Han was able to escape. He saw Shaw. He found out about Cypher. He's been sitting in the background this whole time waiting to emerge. I still believe that Han is a good guy. I don't uh, – look, if he became a bad guy, I'm still team Han, 100%. <laughs> Justice for Han. Justice will be served. And by the way, he should kill Shaw. Shaw tried to kill him, and I, I, I would love – but that's probably not going to happen. But we'll see. Hashtag justice for, for Shaw. Justice for Shaw. All right. Murray Reich writes, uh, we were so poor, we used to, we used Donkey Dong for fuel. And when the Donkey Dong ran out, we would have to burn the donkey. If I'm not mis- I, I think that was also from what we do in the shadows. I think that's also from um, that, that same episode. I think, I think that's the same with their God, Rob. I know you, you haven't, or no, you have watched season one yeah. of what we do in the shadows. God, season two has been so good. I, I, I need to yeah I need to, I need something to watch too like uh, can, can I give you one little actually you can see it in the promo images of that probably give it away one little minor spoiler about this season yeah uh, which they give away on the poster for the season but Guillermo discovers uh, there's an episode where Guillermo uh, sends in a DNA test to uh, 23andMe or whatever you can see your DNA history of his masters so they can all see what their family lineage of is and Nandor <laughs> discovers he has a great 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 granddaughter living in Staten Island and all that kind of stuff but he also sends in his own DNA test and Guillermo discovers he is a Van Helsing so that so Guillermo is a Van Helsing <laughs> and that that becomes that becomes a significant thing in all of season two, none of which I will give away. But that's why you see in the posters Guillermo with like in an action pose with a stake and stuff like that, because he discovers he is a Van Helsing, which is crazy. I love the Guillermo character. I love it. By the way, the last episode was all Colin was all Colin Robinson centric. The entire episode was Colin Robinson centric. The the energy vampire. It's so good. Um, anyway, sorry, I got sidetracked. Uh, Nandor. Speaking of what we do in the shadows, right? John is a chicken because he doesn't want to release the break dancing cut. Hey, listen. Call it ego, fear, uh, shame, whatever it is you want to call it. I embrace it, man. I hate releasing that damn video. And uh, if you want to define shame and all that kind of stuff as part of being chicken yep when it comes to this i'm chicken all right max zwatch writes uh showed mom and family i love you man for mother's day jason siegel's speech at an engagement party kills me every time probably a top five all-time comedy for me that is it actually in my wife Anne's top three favorite comedies of all time is uh, i love you man she quotes i love you man all the time and it is you know what here's the thing much like 40 year old virgin i love you man also speaks to some it's in the midst of a ridiculous comedy but it speaks to something real much like 40 year old virgin did which was i think men undervalue the relationships we have with other men i i I think that's something we don't i think it's something we take for granted we don't invest enough of our time in as men women are a step ahead of us rob i I feel like that and that's one of the observations from i love you man is that women really understand the value of their relationships with other women and they invest in those relationships and all that kind of stuff. And I, I think that movie makes a really keen observation that I don't think men do that enough. But I don't know. You, I'm sure you saw I Love You, Man. I, I love that film. What did you think about it? 
Dude, I own it on Blu-ray. I of course love, you do. I love that movie. I think that movie is so good. And, you know, I think I it, we, we hear a lot about how a lot of middle-aged men, there's an epidemic of suicide amongst middle-aged men. And I think part of that is 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 because as we get older, we we get involved in our relationships with our spouses or significant others and our families, and we forget that it's it's a good thing to have nurturing relationships with our fellow men that that aren't aren't part of our uh, immediate familial circle because it offers a perspective, it offers a comfort, it offers a security, and I think that's what everybody needs, and you know. It's bizarre. It's bizarre that we, especially American men, don't seem to or we're not encouraged to value those relationships. All right. Good insight. All right. Next up. Uh, let's see. Fabian Vegas writes, what happened to the podcast version of the show? The last episode I can find is the Transformers from one week ago. Well, actually, most most uh, as I announced pardon me, last week, I did move over the uh, the podcast service that I use. I changed servers. And most podcast apps have updated with the new ones. As a matter of fact, actually, let me just bring this up right now. If I go over to, um, if I go over to Apple Podcasts right now, and let me see if it's if it's there. Um, as I wait for this to refresh here, uh, yes. So the the last episode is on there. If I go over to. Um, the thing you can see at the top here, May 7th, because I didn't put up an audio only podcast of the studio tour because that was all visual. It was me showing you a lot of stuff. So I didn't put up a podcast version of that. But May 7th, that was the Thursday show. Uh, it is there. Karen Gillan to uh, to replace Depp and Pirates reboot. It is there. It is on most podcast apps. However, as I announced last week. When I told you guys that I was changing the uh, the podcast server, there are some podcast apps that are slower to refresh the new feed. So if you still if if you're on one of those apps, you give it another a couple of days, you'll probably see the feed refreshed. If not, just do a manual search for it. But most of the podcast apps have updated to the new server. If yours hasn't, just give it a few more days and you'll probably see it. All right. uh, Next up here. uh, Childish Gambino writes, so I finally started watching Parks and Rec. I love it. I don't know why it took this long. However, it drives me crazy how they use multi-cam shots on the talking head, interview shots instead of single cam like The Office. The side angle adds nothing. I kind of like it. I'll I'll be honest with you. I do because it gives a little bit more visual dynamic to it because sometimes you can get stuck a little bit on one camera shot and i kind of appreciate that the office did it one way but you know what? by the way the office did it with multiple angles sometimes too they did it once in a while but they were primarily a single camera shot but uh, i like the way they do that and it is one of my one of my top three all-time favorite sitcoms is parks and rec and do get through the rest of the series and then jump on youtube because nbc put it on youtube and watch the reunion show they just did last week it's absolutely fantastic uh, i'm glad you're getting caught up on that child's gambino all right derek writes one of two Community fans like myself are feeling vindicated by its release slash success on Netflix over the last six weeks. Such a stellar cast and have uh, have all been successful Mandalorian composers first TV gig directors like the Russo's Justin Lin Seth Gordon the Russo's credited with paintball episodes for getting them the Winter Soldier Joe Russo said last week he would like to direct a follow-up cast seems keen would Netflix fund a film based on a show that Sony owns Uh, is that a good business decision there's been some talk recently Rob like we do know that um, the cast of 
uh, community is going to be doing an uh, either they are doing it or they've already just did it. But they're going to be doing a table read. We've been seeing like I think the the cast of uh, what was the Zach Levi show named again? Um, this the name uh, of his uh, character. It's the name uh, of his yeah. character. I, Why am I'm I forgetting dying. it? Why am I forgetting? I love this show. Anyway, uh, they just recently got the cast back together to do a table read while social distancing. But there's also some whispers about maybe doing a movie of it, too. I don't know. But here's the good thing about it. It'd be cheap Chuck. as hell. Is it Chuck? Chuck. It was Chuck. Thank you. Why not do a community movie if you can get Donald Glover to do it? But it would be cheap as hell. It would be so cheap to make it. I mean, other than maybe what you'd have to pay uh, Donald Glover. I mean, it would be really inexpensive. It's not a high budget thing. So why not? Listen, I'm not the biggest community fan in the world. I appreciate the show. My wife loves it, though, and loves that show. And I've watched a bunch and I I enjoy it. But why not do one? What do you think, Rob? Could you see them doing a community movie at some point for Netflix? Totally. I mean, movies don't have to be. Obviously, the the salaries can get expensive but if everybody was agreed uh, came back and did it for what's called favored nations where they all get paid the same you could you could absolutely make a cool community movie why not yeah plus i agree i think they'd have a blast doing it too um let's see here uh Okay, there we are. Uh, uh, Mason Daniels writes, there's a movie reviewer called Peter Pablo Reviews who did a review on The Incredible Hulk. He gave you a special mention calling you his mentor uh, and pointed out uh, where you made an appearance in the movie as an extra. Everybody loves you, (laughs) JC. Well, that's always nice to hear. Thank you for pointing that out. I I didn't know about this, but thank you. That's always nice to hear. Um, And I think that is an underappreciated movie. I do. I think that that is an under... And my little adventure on the film, notwithstanding, I actually think that film is is a nice little movie so thanks for sharing that mason i appreciate that right swim rights i hope you jackman returns as wolverine if only for one more movie long shot a deadpool slash wolverine team up kind of like a buddy cop movie shame we probably won't ever get that and and we i don't think we will ever get it and that one of the big problems though rob is even logically would it make sense to do it even if hugh jackman wanted to you're relaunching the x-men universe now right you've got to get a new wolverine the only other thing is that is if it's a Deadpool movie and if Disney does keep Deadpool in his own universe, I guess you could do a one shot Hugh Jackman Deadpool or a Hugh Jackman Wolverine in the Deadpool universe and then start with a new Wolverine in the MCU. But it still doesn't take away from the fact that Hugh Jackman has no interest in doing it. But do you think there's a way Hugh Jackman's desire aside, do you think there's a way logistically they could make it happen? Look, they can make anything happen. <laughs> you know, I mean, but Hugh, Hugh Jackman in Bad Education doesn't look like Wolverine anymore. You know, I mean, when you when you get that jacked, it's not just your muscles, it's your whole body, it's your face too. And Hugh Jackman's he's aging. And I I I just it would be you'd have to believe it and I don't think like I don't think he ever looked better than he looked in Wolverine, dude. He was jacked in that movie. He looked so good. And it, like you said, is he going to want to do that? I mean, at some point, there's no amount of money that's worth – he's already made some good money. He's already got a nice career. Does he want to spend six months of his life or a year getting back into that kind of shape forever? Like for what? A cameo in a movie? Maybe – I mean, I just can't see it happening. 
Um, all right. Uh, next up, Ashley writes, Hey, John and Rob, just wondering if you've seen any of the cinematic matches WWE have put on uh, due to empty arenas. If so, what are your thoughts? Dramatic music and some acting required. It's not real acting, <laughs> but some acting required from the wrestlers is made for some very entertaining viewing. Uh, thanks, guys. I have not because I don't really. Uh, Anne has because Anne and Corey do. Like I said, they do a weekly wrestling podcast, but. The only one I really saw that was kind of cinematic was that strange thing they did at WrestleMania with uh, The Fiend, Brett Wyatt, and uh, John Cena. And I was shocked the next day to see a bunch of people say they really loved it. I thought it was dumb as hell, but a lot of people seem to love it. So, yeah, they have to do what they can do. By the way, let me point this out. Rob, I know you don't watch UFC, but UFC returned on Saturday. I know, it, was a, it was a big weekend. I was following it on Twitter. <laughs> the card was awesome. It was so good. And everybody called me crazy when I said on this show, listen, Tony Ferguson's legit. Don't get me wrong. But Justin Gaethje is a maestro of violence. Justin Gaethje is a maestro of violence. And I call Justin Gaethje <laughs> will win that fight. And everybody said I was crazy. And Justin Gaethje beat up Tony Ferguson for nearly five rounds. He just beat him up and beat him up badly uh, to the point that, and by the way, Tony Ferguson is a Terminator. Oh, my God. Tony Ferguson. Rob, I know you didn't see the fight. You'll have to come over and watch it with me sometime. But Tony Ferguson ate bombs that would have knocked he ate about 25 shots that any one of them would have knocked out any other human being and he just kept going like nothing phased him nothing phased him until finally in the latter rounds he had taken so many shots that he took another big shot and all of a sudden he started looking like he was drunk and he started shaking his head and doing all this on his feet and the referee was like okay enough and stepped in and stopped the fight uh, but the the card was fabulous and you know what i was worried this is why i got caught on to this because the guy just said what the wwe is doing with the lack of audience i didn't know what's it going to be like watching the ufc fights with no audience didn't matter it didn't matter i i it was perfectly fine it, the only times it was awkward was when joe rogan would get into the ring afterwards because then he interviews the winners and goes ladies and gentlemen so and so right that was a little awkward but the fights themselves perfectly fine Oh, dude, Rob, it was so good to see sports back. It was so particularly <laughs> MMA. It was so good to see it back. I was so excited. All right, listen, uh, one more question here uh, while Rob is still here because he's got things he's got to do today. Carlos uh, Slade writes, um, Carlos Slade writes, good day, sir. Hope all is well. It is all well, Carlo. Thank you for asking. I was reading marketwatch.com this morning and noticed an article that AMC Entertainment stock has soared after a report that Amazon has expressed buyout interest. I hope they, Amazon, AMC, and Amazon work something out. What are your thoughts? Well, anyway, Carl, we did make that an off the top here earlier today. You can go back and watch that. But just to recap, Rob, I love the idea. I love the idea. It literally solves all the problems that AMC has. They, they would get to keep their structure. They would keep their business plan. They just, they already spent all the money they need to spend. They've upgraded their theaters. They bought new theaters. They've got their AMC A-list program up and running that was just starting to turn a profit. Everything is in place. And Amazon gets to step in. It's like, oh, so we just have to deal with debt and ongoing uh, cash flow. You've already done all the upgrades. You've already got this new AMC A-list program in there. You've already bought the new theaters. Great. 
Jeff Bezos reaches into his his couch, finds like five billion dollars of spare change, because let's face it, he's probably got five to ten billion in spare change just in his couch and then hands it over and aims all of it. I love the idea. I don't know if it's actually going to happen, Rob. I don't know if it will happen. But I want it to happen. I mean, it's just it's just perfect, (laughs) isn't it? Like is is can you think of another corporate partner that would be a better match for a situation like this than than like an Amazon? I don't know. What do you think? Look, uh, it, it, it is – I think it's a, a really good thing for Amazon. I mean a lot of people are going to be like, oh, it, it, the, the anti-globalists and all this scream bloody murder. I get all that. But in this situation, I would rather see Amazon continue on and make sure AMC sticks around than have it go into receivership and get torn apart and hawks come in and scoop up the parts and and we get substandard theaters. All I care about, John, is that movie theaters exist and they show the best possible – they have the best possible quality of sound and projection so we as moviegoers can enjoy the art form that we love. Uh, well said, sir. Well said. And on that, Rob, we know we you've got things to do, so we'll let you go at this point. You will, of course, be back again tomorrow. But in the yes, meantime, sir. sir, where can people follow you and your Christmas Tree of Happiness Adventures online? Where can they find you? Well, if you want to come under look under my tree, you can go to Twitter. <laughs> that's, that's an image I don't need. Uh, if you uh, if you want to go follow me on Twitter at Burnett RM, follow me on Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett, or find me on my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Work, which I think I should rename today. I don't know. And uh, my show, Rob Observations. All right, dude. Listen, thanks a lot for being here. And we will, of course, talk to you again tomorrow. Have a good one, my friend. All right, man. All right, guys, and with that, with the great Robert Meyer Burnett checking out at this point, let's keep on going now with your live questions. And we're going to keep the live questions going here with Diamond Dog's Puppy, who writes, "Uh, Hey, John, underrated film for today, 2007 Sunshine. Danny Boyle directed a sci-fi opus starring the Scarecrow and Captain America himself. Striking visuals, great concept, and booming score. That score has been featured many trailers since. Superb film. I got to tell you, I was never big on Sunshine. But listen, Diamond Dog, you're not alone. I know a lot of people who really, really do enjoy and treasure that movie and think it's great. Um, I don't think it's a bad film, but I I did not think it was as good as some of my friends did, to be honest with you. I thought there were pacing issues. I thought its logic was a little stretch for some of the stuff it was trying to go for that was a little bit more profound. The, the music in it, though, the score in it is fabulous, and the performances are really good, too. I, I just didn't like it as much as a lot of other people did, but you are not alone. There are a bunch of people that think that's an underrated film, my friend. All right, Fifty Shades of Geek writes, Ray, grandfather, tell me a bedtime story, Palpatine. Have you ever heard the tragedy of Darth Plagueis the Wise? By the way, you know I always talk about how I don't like the prequels, but the prequels all have things in them that I enjoyed. That whole scene at the opera between Palpatine and Anakin as Palpatine is telling that story, that is one of the scenes I really do appreciate about the prequels. Clearly, I'm not a fan of the prequels at all, but there are things in there where I appreciate, and I think that's a really good scene. I think that's one of the few things I appreciate about it. All right, uh, Raphael's Creative Style writes, Everyone's mentioning Seinfeld and the King of Queens, but I'm old enough to remember the husband and wife comedy duo of Stiller and uh, Mara, uh, a good life and great legacy, plus Stiller and uh, uh, Mara gifted us Ben Stiller. It's true. And, you know, we were talking a little bit earlier, Raphael's, about the fact that there's not a lot of people um, that were able to enjoy like a second act 
of his career like he did. Like a lot of the stars from his era have their careers and then they finish up their careers and then they're done. And we remember them fondly and whatever, but that's not what they do anymore. Not a lot of, of people are able to do what he was able to do, which was to have a complete reinvention and resurgence of his career in a totally different way. And almost like kind of recreate himself to have a whole new generation of fans recognize him and know him and appreciate him. George Burns um, and what was his, was Gracie? Was it, was Gracie George Burns's wife? I think it was George Burns and Gracie are a really great example of that, right? George Burns had his incredible career. And then later on in his life, he was able to have a resurgence again in totally of a different sort of way. And it was really amazing that, that Jerry was able to do that. So thanks for mentioning that dude. All right. Dr. Doombot writes one or two greetings, John. As a Dungeons and Dragons player, John, what are you hoping in the next movies? I would love to see an adaptation of Dragonlance or the Legends of uh, Dritz, uh, De Erden, or maybe uh, Elminster, the Archmage. Now I'm all for origin stories and creative freedom, but with the previous movies in mind, wouldn't it make sense to turn these legendary D&D novels, oh, and Doom is coming? No, I, I honestly don't think so. I honestly think the best thing to do is to just create a new story within that world without any handcuffs, without any creative limitations, just create a fabulous narrative on its own. Listen, historically, there have been a lot of problems with trying to take existing material and just turn that into the visual medium, right? That's why, much like in comic book movies, we talk about this a lot. In comic book movies, like Civil War, Okay, it's based on Civil War, the, co the, the, the comic book series, but it's really nothing like Civil War, the comic book series. There's some thematic similarities, but other than that, it's totally different. X-Men Days of Future Past. Yeah, it's based on the comic story, X-Men Days of Future Past, but it's really not like it an awful lot. It's very, very different. So you can do that. And those two are two of the best comic book movies of all time. I think you need to do the same thing. And whether you base it on something like Dragonlance or whatever, or you just go pure original, the bottom line is, even if you go with an existing story, you have to just adapt it from the ground up. Make something that was written for the visual medium. And that's the way I think they need to go. That's the way I think they should go. And I have high hopes. I really just want to see something come to life in the world. Because listen, the brilliance of Dungeons and Dragons is not the novels written about Dungeons and Dragons. The brilliance about Dungeons and Dragons and games like it is that we create the world. Let me rephrase. We create the stories that take place within this world. Dungeons and Dragons gives us a world. And then what makes it beautiful is that we as players, we get to go in and create the stories that take place within that world. Yeah, they give us some parameters and they give us the rules and they give us the world that we get to go and inhabit, but we make the stories. And I think a filmmaker should take a player's approach, step in there as a dungeon master and make the story within that world. Whether it's the world of of some some older stuff, whether it's a, a you know a V five story, whether it's a Dragonlance, or whether it's uh, the the Echo Echo Mine uh, Cave, or whether it's any of that kind of stuff, fine. But just tell your own story. Don't just take a story that's there and adapt it. Tell your own story, just like we as players do every week. That's what I think the potential of a Dungeons and Dragon movie lives, and I'm very very excited about it. Okay. 
Campia Burnett 2020. Remember, guys, hashtag Campia Burnett 2020. Uh, with film production being shut down, do you know how many 2021 movies have even started shooting? Uh, they have to start soon to make their dates, right? Or is it possible uh, that at some point theaters may not have anything new to show next year? Um, not really. Listen, most movies are not huge blockbuster films, right? Most, the 85% of movies are not $150 million visual effects heavy movies. You can start shooting a movie. If you've got all your pre-production done, if you've got all your pre-production done and you've got like a drama, a comedy, whatever, you can shoot, edit, post-production and have, theoretically speaking, and have your film in theaters in four months. I mean, that's not ideal, but honestly, for a lot of films that are just location-based, drama, no big visual effects, no sweeping epics, stuff like that, regular movie, like a community movie, I'm telling you right now, if they did all the work of writing and doing all the pre-production and doing the storyboarding and doing all the line producing and all the work that needs to be done before movies start shooting, if all of that is done, a movie, like a community movie, you could shoot, edit, post-production and have that movie in theaters or on Netflix within four months. You really could. You absolutely could. Theoretically, it's not ideal, but you could do it. So at this point, I think the majority of 2021 films are probably not in trouble yet, are probably not in trouble yet. We could get to a point where they do become in trouble, but right now I think they're probably uh, okay. All right. Next up, Manny G writes, hello, John, longtime fan from the AMC days. Thank you so much, Manny. I appreciate you hanging around that long, dude. I did something today I should have done a long time ago. I finally became a proud Patreon supporter. Thanks for the awesome content through the years. Here's to many more. Thank you so much, man. I, you know what? And I don't, I, I don't actually promote my, the Patreon campaign very much. I, and I should, I suppose I should. I really should. But you know what? Here's something though. And there's nothing wrong with, I'm about to say something, but I'm not saying there's anything wrong with this at all. You watch a lot of other YouTube channels or whatever. Let's say they were all promote their Patreon, like every single video, sometimes multiple times per video. I don't really do that. I, I have a link for my Patreon account. I, I, I need Patreon supporters. I have an amazing group of Patreon supporters. We do some like Patreon only stuff now and again, which is really great, but I don't really promote the Patreon campaign very much. Also, when you see other shows that do, and there's, again, there's nothing wrong with this, nothing wrong with this at all. When you see other shows that kind of try to do what I do, which is the live thing and, and, you know, utilize tips or super chats, things like that, like, like Twitch game streamers or something, they will constantly promote Guys, don't forget, send in a, a, a tip or whatever. Like they were constantly promote, promote that throughout the show. I will maybe, most shows I'll never even mention it, but when I do, maybe I'll mention it once in a show. By the way, guys, if you want to send in a question for the live things, you can do it this way or you can do it this way. Thanks. And then I say it once in the two hour show and then I never mention it again, right? And a lot of other people do mention it constantly. And maybe I should, because there's nothing wrong with that. I, it's actually probably very smart that a lot of other places do that. I tend not to. I, I, like I said, even there are many shows that I, there are many, many times on the show that I don't even mention the Patreon campaign. And I don't even mention that you can send in a tip or use a super chat or whatever. And when I do do it, it's usually only like once per show. And then I never mention it again. And I don't know. I, I guess it's just me. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I just don't, I don't feel like asking people for money. 
I, I don't know. There's something weird about it. But John, you you do super chats and stuff like that. I know. I, I haven't figured that part out yet. I feel awkward about it, and so I never really mention it very much. But listen, Manny, thank you for becoming a Patreon supporter because really, it is our Patreon supporters that provide that 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 foundation for us to do what we do, for us to have staff, and for us to have the equipment and the gear that we talk about on the show, for us to be able to operate every single month. It's really the Patreon supporters that give us that foundation that allow us to do that, and so. Thank you so much, Manny, for becoming a Patreon supporter. I really appreciate it. Keep your eyes open. By the way, uh, we're going to be doing a Zoom. Uh, we're going to be using Zoom and doing our movie club. We're going to get that launched here in the next couple of weeks, finally. But we're going to do it over Zoom for our Patreon supporters. So thank you so much, Manny, for becoming a Patreon supporter. I appreciate it very, very much. All right. Uh, Carlos Sosa writes, Hey, John, I saw the Mandalorian documentary on Disney Plus, and I loved it. I loved the first part. I didn't like the second one at all. Uh, I had myself nodding my head in agreement with everything that they were saying about Star Wars. I laughed, felt inspired, and even cried a little uh, with the second episode. Uh, in the second episode, when Dave Filoni spoke again. I thought it was just completely useless. I get, I know I listen. Yeah. Put out a YouTube video about why we love star Wars. That's great. This is supposed to be a documentary about the making of the Mandalorian. And we just, so far we haven't done anything about the making of the Mandalorian. You know, last week Rob was saying, Rob was critical of it. I still love the first episode, but Rob was making the point. This is supposed to be a behind the scenes. Look at how the docu, how this came to be. And so far they've done nothing about it. And I'm like, ah, give them time. And then we did this entire episode where there's nothing about, except people sitting around circle going, isn't Star Wars great? Yeah, Star Wars is great. Don't you think Star Wars is great? I also think Star Wars is great. And I get it. We're watching a documentary on The Mandalorian. We all already think Star Wars is great. Tell us about how you made The Mandalorian. That's what this is supposed to be. Tell us about how you made The Mandalorian. What got it started? What techniques did you use? Tell us a story about, you know, John Knowles here. Tell us about your approach to the visual effects with this. Kathy Candy's here. Talk talk about when you first had the idea to match up John Favreau with Dave Filoni. Uh, you know, J John's here. Tell us about what gave you the idea to do Mandal... And they haven't done any of it. It's just, I mean, that entire episode was just such a freaking waste of airtime. But anyway, eh, that that's just me, Carlos. That's just me. I'm just looking for them. I don't know, as a... Mandalorian documentary tell me about how you made the Mandalorian and they didn't even talk about Mandalorian it was just it just seemed like such a waste anyway but that's just me that's just my jaded bitter kind of look at things I suppose all right Maurice Seifring writes According to Variety, uh, hi, John and Rob, I read in Variety that some South Korean theaters are opening and offering contact-free service. They're replacing human staff with AI robots and offering automated kiosks and mobile app service. Um, your thoughts on theaters trying something like that, contact-free service. Thanks, John and Rob. Well, I mean, listen, to some degree, movie theaters here already do that, right? Like, you, there are theaters you can go to now where you... Don't go to a box office. You either buy your tickets online in advance or you go up to a kiosk, purchase your stuff. You can already buy your food and purchase your food in advance at AMC theaters. Like I can use the AMC app right now. Order. I mean, not right now because they're closed, but I can order my tickets and then I can order my food and my food will be waiting there for me at a special area on the desk for pre-ordered food where you can just go up and grab your box and take it into the theaters. I mean, that sort of stuff already kind of exists. So listen, you can't do it. And I think they'll find this. You cannot do it without human beings at all. But there's a lot they already are doing that minimizes 
human contact before you go in. To really lean into that in a time like this, Marie, I, I think is very wise. Right now is very wise because, you know, they know that one of the big apprehensions people are going to have about coming back to the theater is the physical interaction. So if you can help alleviate that a little bit, at least temporarily, anything you can do on that front is probably a good thing to do and to try. Anyway, thanks for writing that in, Marie. I appreciate that. All right. Yusuf Alvi writes. I gave the edge to Tony, but I knew there was a solid chance Justin Gaethje would take it. I had no idea it was going to be so lopsided. Justin won every single round, in my opinion, and it sucks because we will never see Tony versus Khabib. I still have Khabib winning by submission. I mean, on the one hand, yeah, it sucks that we don't see Tony versus Khabib. But listen, I, I look, I told you this all the time. Tony Ferguson never had any chance against Khabib. He never had a chance against Khabib. There is no universe in the multi-realms where Tony Ferguson can beat, can beat Khabib. It just doesn't exist. He had as much of a chance as any fighter has with a lucky punch or something. Sure, it can happen. But nothing beyond that. It would have been a lucky break for him to ever beat Khabib. So yeah, a little bit disappointed, but isn't it now more exciting that we know that a guy like Justin Gaethje, who so easily beat Tony Ferguson, I mean, he beat him easily. And just beat him up for like almost 25 minutes. Isn't it better then that we now have Khabib and Gaethje? Isn't that better? I'll tell you what. I'm Because listen, Gaethje poses some problems to Khabib that Tony Ferguson didn't pose. Justin Gaethje is, a, is an elite level wrestler as well. And that's always been Khabib's main thing. He gets a hold of you, he drags you down, and then he smashes you until you quit. Gaethje, with his wrestling acumen, he could pose some problems. I Listen, I still pick Khabib to win that fight, but Gaethje poses more problems. And it's, I think we're, we've got a, I think Gaethje Khabib is a better fight than Ferguson Khabib ever would have been. So anyway, that's where, that's where I'm at at that. All right, Joel Wagner writes, Hey, John and Rob, have you guys had time to check out Justice League Dark Apocalypse War? It's really good and surprisingly has a hard R rating. I really don't have any interest. I find most of DC and Marvel's animated stuff to be garbage, to be honest with you, in my opinion. Uh, there are some notable exceptions. Harley Quinn, uh, uh, Behind the Mask, uh, Phantasm, obviously. But for the most part, uh, or the Red Hood, I should say. Um, for the most part, I just don't like I, th I find their stuff to be cheap and cheesy and clearly made for home video. So I don't really like that stuff myself. But I know a lot of people that love it, and that's awesome. But it's not really for me, so I haven't checked it out, and I probably won't. Um, I love Carta writes, She-Ra and the Princess of Power is returning for its final season on Netflix this Friday. Have you seen it? I highly recommend anybody who hasn't watched it. Not really my thing. Uh, she even back in the He-Man days, She-Ra really wasn't my thing, so I, I really didn't have much interest in it when they relaunched it on Netflix, so I have not seen it. But again, I know some people, actually Chris Carr, I believe, talked about it. I think she really liked it. I think Chris mentioned that she really quite liked it as well, but I, I haven't watched any of it. It's just, I was, I'm not their target demographic, clearly. I'm not the target demographic, so I haven't watched it myself. So I have nothing negative to say about it, just that I haven't watched it because it really wasn't aimed at me. All right, Dangerous Lee writes, Oh, hi, John. Guess the movie. I used to know a girl. She had a dozen guys. One of them found out about it, beat her up so bad she, she ended up in hospital on Guerrero Street. Probably a movie I've seen 20 times, but I don't even recognize it. It's funny. I was mentioning this the other day. There are a lot of times people write in a quote and I'm like, oh my God, I know that. And I can sort of see it. And like, sometimes I nail the quote, but sometimes it's like, oh, I can see it. And I just can't place it. It's the ones that I go, 
I have no idea what that's from that are usually from movies that I've seen the most. Like, it's like, this is probably from a, a quote from a movie I've seen like 20 times. And I'm just not, rec- so I, I don't recognize it. Uh, let's see. Simon Blakemore writes, Mark Hamill is ju- uh, has just a video on Star Wars Facebook page thanking all the fans who are serving on the front lines of this virus. I thought it was very nice of him to do that. Mark Hamill is just a class, class, class dude. He's just a class dude, top to bottom. Um yeah, the dude's just great. So I haven't seen that video myself. I should go check it out. But that's you're right, Simon. That's a really cool thing for him to do. Very classy. All right, Ben Rayner writes, uh, Deadpool 3 pre-credit scene. Uh, Wade calls uh, Hugh begging for a cameo in the movie, and Hugh hangs up after, all, after the whole pitch. Wade says, expletive, quick cut to Hugh saying, F Wade, and a single blade pops up. We, could you see that happen? Well, listen, like going back to what we were saying before, Ben, I could see... Hugh Jackman doing like a cameo for fun, right? Just a quick cameo for fun. I could still see that happen, especially when you consider the the relationship between uh, Ryan Reynolds and Hugh Jackman. I could totally still see that happening. Sure. What I don't see happening is Hugh Jackman coming back to do another movie. I, I don't see that happening. Show up on set for an afternoon to, to film one quick cameo. Yeah, he, he could do that. But him actually... Coming back as Wolverine to do a full movie, that's never going to happen again. I mean, I would love it if they did, and I hope he does, but I I, I don't think that's ever going to happen again. Um, All right, guys, that is all of the uh, tip link questions that you guys sent in. Now let's jump over and start looking at the super chat questions that you guys start sending in. Pat Deary writes, John, have you seen Disney Gallery Mando? It's amazing Star Wars talk from lovers of Star Wars. Do you think they show Mando Season 2 trailer at the end of the Disney Gallery show? I have been watching it. I loved Episode 1. I hated Episode 2. Uh, but I'm still looking forward to the rest, absolutely. And yes, I com- it's, it would be a massive missed opportunity, Pat. It would be a massively missed opportunity if they didn't end this series with our first look at Mandalorian season two. I mean, it would be a completely missed opportunity. So I think you are 100% on the money about that. All right. Cloud wings writes suggestion, add your steam elements. You probably meant stream elements, add your stream elements to your overlay. I personally can't use PayPal. They don't accept my credit card. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm sure I'm not the only one. I'm not sure what you mean by add stream elements to my overlay because stream elements just uses PayPal. So do me a favor, Cloud Wings. Uh, Hey, I'm always open to learning new stuff. If you don't mind, Cloud Wings, could you email me, john at thejohncampiashow.com. That's john at thejohncampiashow.com. And maybe give me a little bit more of an idea about what it is you're talking about, because I'm not quite sure, because Stream Elements uses PayPal. So I'm not quite sure what it is you're saying. If you wouldn't mind emailing me and telling me what you're thinking, I, I always love learning new stuff. So thanks for that, man. Thanks for the heads up. That's very considerate of you. All right, Richard Green writes, is it weird that I wish John Favreau was an uncle I could talk to about stuff once in a while? Dude, listen, one of the things I got to say, especially that first episode of the Mandalorian documentary, is just how together John Favreau, he just seems like the, the dude who's got it all figured out and together. I'm with you, Richard. I, I would love him as an uncle to go and chat with about things. All right. The Wakandan Forever writes, please read in your announcer voice. All right, internet viewers, you wanted the best. You got the best. The hottest show in the world, the John Campion Show. The hottest show in the world on YouTube. I mean, <laughs> thank you for that, man. Uh, Wakanda also writes, uh, Kiss, they play music, spit blood, breathe fire, even fly. They are heavy metal superheroes. What is the greatest live event uh, you've seen in person? The greatest live event I've seen in person was 
Um, probably U2 concert at uh, Angel Stadium in Anaheim, California. Like a packed out baseball stadium. I can't. I can't even tell you how many how many people were there. It's just the, the, one of the biggest masses of humanity I've ever seen. And that was like a damn church service. I mean, it was, it was awesome. It's probably my favorite one ever. I'm not, I gotta say I'm not a big kiss fan myself, but I mean, they are legends. They are, they're royalty in the music world, man. All right. Wakanda also writes uh, a kiss fan, John, not really You're part of the kiss army. Not really. It's kind of funny too. When you take a, a thing like kiss known as heavy metal, but their biggest, most recognizable song was really kind of a disco song, right? I was made for loving you, baby. It's kind of basically a disco song, which is kind of funny when you think about it. Anyway, Wakanda Forever also writes, they get called fake, but who do you think is the toughest in real life? Pro wrestlers or stunt doubles? Have a good day. Everyone stay safe out there. Well, I mean, the funny thing is, see, some people say wrestlers are actors. That's really not true. But I'll tell you what wrestlers are. They are stunt. They are living, breathing stunt doubles. When you look at what they do. And you go and watch. Remember I mentioned a little bit earlier in the show that documentary that the WWE is doing on the last three years in The Undertaker's career called The Last Ride? If you want to know how tough these guys really are, find a way to go and watch part one of The Last Ride, the documentary on The Undertaker. If you want to see what a tough human being looks like, holy crap. Um, so I would say they are in essence the same thing. The wrestlers are stuntmen who are also performers. That's the thing. So they are. So I, I'm not going to make a distinction between stuntmen and wrestlers. Say which one is tougher because wrestlers are stuntmen, and the things that they do is crazy. And again, I cannot highly recommend enough uh, going and checking out um, that that doc. That part one, the last ride. Anyway, uh, Coolsome XD writes, uh, when Ray kills Palpatine, how come his spirit doesn't possess her and make her empress? Wasn't that his whole plan? Dude, listen, if you're asking me to try to give some sort of logical answer to anything that happened in Rise of Skywalker, you're talking to the wrong guy because that movie is so many. It, it just, let's just put the Rise of Skywalker does not have a close relationship with logic. Let's just say that the movie, the rise of Skywalker just, just does not have a close relationship with logic. I don't hate the movie. I don't hate it, but it's not good. It's it's, it, I was disappointed with the film. It's a, it's a poor film to me and a lot of little logic problems throughout the film. So I cannot, I cannot sit here. Cool. to next day. I'm the wrong guy to ask to try to give any kind of justification for anything that happens in that movie. I, I'm just the wrong guy to ask, unfortunately. And I'm a fan of star Wars. I'm even I, look, I, and I love JJ's previous star Wars film. I love the force awakens. I love that movie, but I was very let down by the rise of Skywalker. Personally, there are others who like it and that's awesome. I celebrate that, but you know, I'm not one of them. All right. Jeremy Tshabu writes, I really uh, believe Logan deserved the Best Picture nomination, completely deserved Best Picture nomination. No doubt he deserved uh, that deserved a Best Picture nomination. It was completely blown away. I was completely blown away by it in 2017. I'm still glad it got a screenplay nomination. Not shy of amazing. Listen, it Logan became, let's not underplay this, Logan became the first comic book movie in history to get, other than the acting award that went to uh, uh, Heath Ledger for for uh, for Joker. He got Best Supporting Actor. Aside from that, it was the first major Academy Award nomination for a comic book movie, getting a Best Screenplay nomination. Well-deserved, awesome. But I'm telling you right now, Patrick Stewart should have been nominated for Best Supporting Actor, and Logan should have been nominated for Best Picture. S simple. And I'll tell you this, too. 
Black Panther, I believe Logan paved the way and made people realize, oh yeah, these comic book movies are not just great, fun popcorn. There are some of the best movies of the year in, in some ways. And I guarantee you, I, I think if it wasn't for Logan, I don't think Black Panther would have gotten a Best Picture nomination the following year. If it wasn't for that groundwork that Logan laid, I, I, I really think that. Uh, anyway, Ardent Defender writes, John, just want to thank Rob for mentioning the FX TV series Devs last week. Absolutely loved it. Found season one on Hulu and loved it. Great sci-fi. That is very high on my queue right now. Everybody's telling me, of course, the guy who played Ron Swanson on Parks and Rec, and I'm, why am I forgetting the actor's name right now? He's great. Anyway, so... Uh, he stars in it. Everybody I know who has seen Devs tells me they think it's fantastic. I'm very excited about checking it out. It's high on my queue list. Ann and I, we are going to get to that and watch that soon. So I'm excited about it too, Arden, and I'm glad you enjoyed it. All right, Jeremy Shab, we've only got another minute left here, guys. Uh, also, I think Jaimon Hansu is so underrated. Jaimon Hansu was fantastic. Uh, ever since I discovered him in Amistad, that's the first time I really took notice of Jaimon Hansu was in the Steven Spielberg-filled Amistad, and now he's in, like, every comic book movie, whether it's Marvel or DC. He pops up some way, shape, or form. Jaimon Hansu pops up. Uh, he is a tremendous talent. I love the dude. I think he's fantastic. Uh, Donald Mex just sends in um, a super chat just to be supportive. Thank you so much for that, Donald. I appreciate it, man. Ant Banks 1984 writes... Can you imagine in the final battle in Endgame if Scarlet Witch decided to use her mind hex on Bruce and it turned him back into the rage machine and he wiped out half of Thanos' army? Dude, don't tease me like that. Don't tease me like that. Look, you know I love Endgame. I talk about it all the time. But you also know my one big problem with it was the way the Russo brothers, I believed, as great of a job as they did with Infinity War and Endgame, they were fabulous. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying the one pick I have with it is the way they handled Hulk. I thought Hulk was completely mismanaged in both the films. I thought Hulk was completely mis. Not that they didn't give him a couple of really neat moments, but I think for the most part, Hulk was completely mismanaged in both infinity war and Endgame. and dude, all you're doing to me right now, Aunt Banks is teasing me because a true Hulk being unleashed on Thanos and his army would have been, uh, uh, oh God, how glorious would that have been to see? How glorious would that have been to see? Would have been incredible. Oh, would have been incredible. All right, Donald Mex uh, sends in a $10 super chat just to be supportive. Thank you, Donald. Uh, Daniel Hinosha writes, uh, Leo works better with Tarantino than Scorsese, in my opinion. I don't know, man. I don't know. You know what the funny thing is? <laughs> Leo's got one Academy Award, and he didn't win it with either of them. His Academy Award, I think it was uh, in Aratu, if I'm not mistaken, that he won for Revenant. So he's got one Academy Award, and it was with neither, neither Scorsese or Quentin Tarantino. I, but I, which one he works better with, I don't know, because listen, he, he works really well with Scorsese. <laughs> He's obviously works very well with Tarantino as well, no doubt, but he works real well with Scorsese. Uh, John Red, Redcorn writes, over under Rob has Island of Dr. Moreau and Kazam on Blu-ray. I believe he said before that he's got the Isle of Dr. Monroe. I'm going to doubt, though, that he has Kazam on Blu-ray. I'm going to doubt that one. Uh, Neo Maxi Zoom Webby One writes, um, what did you guys think of Justice League Dark Apocalypse War? Big fan since day one. Again, I haven't watched it. I really don't have any plans on watching that. Both, both DC and Marvel's animated stuff, very rare do it for me i i find most of their stuff to be quite poor um the dark knight returns is an exception uh red hood is an exception 
Harley Quinn is an exception. But for the most part, like 99% of their other stuff has just never been for me. I, I just don't like it myself. And others do, and that's great. That's awesome. But I haven't watched it. I don't plan on watching it. Um, Iconic Reactions writes, one of two. Hello, movie father. So I was thinking about this Wolverine topic, and to be honest, knowing Marvel, I can't say that I would be happy at first with them getting an unknown actor for the role, to be honest. But I like the idea of it more the more I think about it, because after all, no one expected Hugh Jackman to play the part at first, and now look also... And now look also, can you see Marvel using the costume that made an appearance at the end of the second Wolverine? No. That ridiculous yellow and black spandex costume? No. There are just some things that work great on the printed page that would be absolutely ridiculous on the big screen. That Wolverine costume would look utterly ridiculous on the big screen. There are superhero costumes that look great on the big screen. Some don't. And the Wolverine costume would just, it would just look like a joke. I honest, And I get people mad at me all the time. And you know how big of a fan I am of Wolverine, the knucklehead, the good Canadian character. But I'm just telling you that you try to pass off that costume on the big screen. It would just look ridiculous. And, and nobody really wants it other than for the nostalgia of it. Now, we remember seeing Wolverine with what we have the big wingtip thing mask, too. I, I just think personally, I think it would look utterly ridiculous. But I'll tell you what. Listen, you, you're bang on the money, Iconic. You're bang on the money. When you mention, hey, listen, nobody even knew who Hugh Jackman was. Nobody knew who Hugh Jackman was when they cast him. And everybody was mad. He's over six feet tall. He's a song and dance Broadway man. Who wants that guy as Wolverine? And now we now all we want is him to come back, right? So, yeah, they'll probably go with an unknown actor or a lesser known actor. Maybe not unknown, but a lesser known actor. And everybody's going to be negative about it at first. And they're going to be, we want Hugh Jackman back. But we got to give him a chance like we gave Hugh Jackman a chance. And maybe he'll be the next Hugh Jackman. Who knows? We'll have to wait and see. All right. Uh, last two questions of the day, guys. And then we got to wrap it up here. Uh, Jesse writes, I really hope um, neither Mando's job, neither Mando's job to the other. Oh, I agree. I, I hope they don't job them to each other. That 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 would be a bad choice. I agree, Jesse. That would be a bad choice. Um, and Neo Maxi Zoom Webby One writes: Robert Meyer Burnett over under. We see uh, Wall Russ in Guardians of the Galaxy Three again. Unfortunately, Rob's not here right now. He to step. He had to step out. But remember, when you send in an over and under, you got to give us a number. You got to give us a number for us to say whether we think it's over or under that. But since Rob's not here, we'll take one more question. Uh, this one comes to us from Rogue Mammoth, who writes. Um, Rob, bra, none of us know if we'll enjoy being on the receiving end of Spunk. <laughs> These uh, Sony Pictures universe of Marvel characters. Spunk. None of us know if we'll enjoy being on the receiving end of Spunk until a few more films come out. Let's wait for Morbius and Venom 2, bra. Oh, I agree. But I am excited for Venom 2 because I liked Venom 1 more than most people did. I mean, I, I had so much fun with that movie. It was crazy. And I think the Morbius trailer knocked it out of the park. I thought the Morbius trailer looked absolutely fantastic, Rogue. I, I think that looked great. And you are right. Let's see how we get spunked. Is, is, that, is Sony going to make that part of their advertising campaign now? Venom 2, Morbius. Come on, everybody. Let's get spunked. I don't know. Maybe that'll. Maybe you just discovered a great ad campaign. I'm not sure. All right, listen. For everybody else from Suthius, Matthew Milligrano, Lord Vanderkill, do not worry, guys. We're going to start off 
um, the, the Super Chat part of the show tomorrow with your questions. They will get answered on the show in a video, so do not worry. You sent in those questions. They're going to get answered. In the meantime, guys, of course, don't forget for tomorrow's show, you can already start sending in your questions early if you'd like by using that link we talked about a little bit earlier. You can simply go over to streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip, and you can send in questions early and be one of the first questions answered on the show tomorrow. All right, guys. That will do it for me for this installment of the John Campia Show. Thank you so much, guys, for being here. I want to thank Robert Meyer Burnett for being here. He, of course, will be back again tomorrow. Thank you to all you guys for making this show a part of your day. Uh, I mean, that is amazing that there's a lot of things to do, and yet you choose to spend part of your day hanging out with us here and talking about movies and stuff like that. That is an awesome privilege. Thank you so much for that. And a special thank you to all of you guys who sent in the questions. Number one. Kids, you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel while you did it. And all of us here on the John Campus Show, thank all of you guys very much for that. All right, guys, that will do it for me for now. Thanks a lot for being here. Remember, guys, stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and take care of the people around you. My name is John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.